In a world of art and entertainment, we often seek deeper meaning and overanalyze the presentation. Director Paul Verhoeven often uses B-movie genre as a vehicle for complex human emotions, social satire, and shocking sex and violence. Is this genius subtext for the artist's intent, or our own imagination looking for cosmic connection where none were intended? We call, we this, call dilemma this dilemma the Verhoeven effect. Listening to the Verhoeven Effect podcast, I'm Conlon and I'm Nathan. We have another very special episode. We have the 1980 movies Blues Brothers. First came out June 20th, 1980. Nathan, did you see this movie in theaters? I did not. I did not see this in theaters when I was six years old. <laughs> Guess that would not be a child. Movie. Yeah, probably not. This is pretty like a hard R movie just for the language alone. Uh, I can't actually don't know what it was rated. It didn't. Oh, it was rated R. R, yeah, it's yeah. R. So, yeah. what are you going <laughs> No, I said uh, I didn't. I didn't watch this movie until years. I mean, this is something I've seen like five hundred times. It's yeah. kind of like Time Bandits. Like it was always playing in the background, but I never really like paid attention to it until I was older. Yeah, I was kind of surprised how long it is, but it actually the the I don't know the weird thing about this movie I think is like it's almost barely a comedy, but that's how it's remembered. It's like it's a comedy. It's kind of like just this weird musical action movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I didn't think it was. Like, yeah, it's a two. I, why, the version I watched was over two, two and a half hours, but I watched like the. Because I had like, it on. The Blue, version or something? Yeah. And, and, and then, but they had like for renting, they had like, oh, the, with all the deleted scenes. Like, well, I'll just watch the whole thing, which was like, yeah, it was fine. I just watched the regular version on Amazon. They had the unrated for rent but i just watched the regular one yeah that's what i watched the unrated version that just had like extra scenes that was it okay directed by john landis who uh famous for lots of things i don't know almost probably most famous well i mean national lampoon he directed that that was a huge movie that also had john belushi uh and then also like michael jackson's thriller that was a huge yeah you know like one of the first huge music videos um until this day still influential <laughs> uh and also we talked about last week he was also infamous for basically getting three people killed in a helicopter accident on the twilight zone <laughs> yeah. yeah john landis likes stunts um <laughs> as we, you know blues brothers a lot of dangerous stunts in it and it's like they also did an american werewolf in london yeah which is like that's remembered as a. Uh, it's like a comedy slash horror movie. <laughs> yeah, it's like a it's a, it's a cool movie with like a weird twist, but uh, or just kind of a strange story structure and things that are going on in it. But it's it's kind of. Like, well, it's also oh, like one it. of the first movies to have like, like the transformative like inflatable bladder things. Like they use that also in like uh, the thing and stuff like that to make very like violent, realistic looking. Yeah. <laughs> uh, horror things. <laughs> It was like that in Videodrome. That was like that was the three movies that started using that stuff. Yeah, when <laughs> I think of John, yeah, when I think of John Landis, I think of Animal House, The Blues Brothers, American Werewolf in London, and uh, like Coming to America was another big one. Yeah, uh, Trading Places. Uh, and then after that, I I think his career died after Coming to America. I mean, yeah. he did other things, but they 
work like remember. yeah i can't remember if he came more of a producer or what he's also like i don't know this is just rumors but as far as the, the rumor mill is concerned the latest update in the rumor mills is that john land is is just a complete asshole oh <laughs> so, well, that's too bad. and people don't like him huh. uh and his son got in trouble for sexually harassing people so he was in hollywood for a hot minute and now isn't so. Oh, I he wrote like that. Movie. He wrote like that blight movie, okay. that Netflix kind of like Will Smith magical action cop movie. <laughs> oh, bright. Yeah, yeah, bright. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, the one where it was it was like Shadow Run was real or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Also, yeah. That's what the fun thing about Max Landis is that he was like like a friend of the show to like the Red Letter Media guys, and <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> Oh, uh, just because what, the sex pest stuff, or yeah, yeah, yeah. Cinematography is done by Stephen M. Katz, who's like mostly just done cinematography for, for comedies, which is kind of weird because like this is a well-shot movie that's has tons of action, and he just went on to do kind of traditional comedies. <laughs> oh, okay. Because this is like almost shot like, in some ways, this is almost shot like a like Blade Runner, but just less, you know, less scientific. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the opening of this made me, I forgot, like, the opening of this was shot, I think it was mostly shot in Gary, Indiana, uh, oh, yeah. where they had, like, this industrial city and just, like, you know, the off-burning of gases from this tower. And I was like, I was waiting to see, like, Los Angeles 2019. You know? I was like, <laughs> I forgot the intro to this movie was just this bleak industrial hellscape. <laughs> um, which Chicago was, you know, at that time yeah. too. I mean, this movie comes out in the nineteen eighty. This is very much like That's a late seventies. It's a seventies movie, yeah. <laughs> uh, written by Dan Aykroyd and John Landis. Uh, I like Jan- Dan Aykroyd's original five hundred page script treatment for this. <laughs> that they looked over and they're like, "Hey, there's some elements here we can use, Dan." But Again, this is because we talked about him writing like the Ghostbusters script, and it's like, yeah. oh, it's just like a, oh, a journey into like paganism and darkness. It's like this isn't the theme we're going for, but well, I mean, the the, the those two these move that this and that movie share like similar things where it's like, it's it's not a straightforward comedy; it's more subversive, and you can feel that, and that's what makes it different. Yeah, it's not because it, it's basically it's like a serious movie that comes off as funny to the audience because of how weird it is not necessarily because they're doing like the setup and punchline comedy bits yeah <laughs> um and there's just like yeah just not many movies do that so but also i think like sort of the magic here and it's probably john landis being irresponsible but the magic of this movie that movies are missing today and it's unfortunate because it's danger is like what makes the magic is this movie seems irresponsible. Yes. <laughs> they definitely put people in danger, and that's what movie magic is a lot of times. Yep. <laughs> and nowadays, you just you either know it's CGI or think it's CGI and it's not, and you're actually not giving them credit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, now there's no danger here. You yeah. know, they just all did in computer. Which is, I mean, that's why that new mission impossible coming out they have like a 30 minute like behind the scenes about that stunt where he jumps off a cliff to let people know like hey 
we did this shit for real. Like, come see this movie. Like, we're putting our lives on the line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically, Tom Cruise did a PSA about, yeah, I could have died at any point in filming. This. <laughs> By the way, me, not some guy who looks like me, me. <laughs> And the people that ensure the movie love that the most of all. But people respect him for that because he's like an insane detail guy who was like, no, nah, I'm just doing my own stunts. You know, and it's like, and when we say doing his own stunts, we don't mean doing a pratfall. It's like, no, I'm going <laughs> to jump off of something, you know, with a with a thin wire to hold me up. Hang on to a C-130 as it takes off. Yeah, it's like, no. That's I mean, he's strapped into the plane and they CGI'd out the strap, but... He was on the side of that plane holding on. If you had me tied up with a fire hose side strap and said nothing can happen, Nathan, I still wouldn't do it. So, <laughs> uh, Of course, that cast is John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, and Cab Calloway is yep. the third one. But he's like, what, he's like a famous musician. Yeah, he's, he's like, yeah, he's, yeah, he's like a, um. I don't know, like, yeah, some kind of, like, performance. Well, I want to say he's a blues musician, but they have a part where he sings, and he's more like, kind of like a, oh, what do you call that? Uh, <laughs> what was that, like, kind of, like, song and dance stuff they did, like, in, the, in like, the 40s oh, It's kind stuff. of like jazz and vaudeville. It's like... A, yeah, vaudeville, yeah. It, yeah, but it's, like, more jazzy than just straight-up vaudeville comedy. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. kind of one of those, like, I'm going to talk to the crowd. We're going to do call-and-repeat stuff, you know, that's... Yeah. And then it was like that scat stuff where it's like, you know, that all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's interesting that he gets third billing. But so we have Act One. <laughs> all right, a dirty and dark city is blowing smokestacks and flames, and this is, you know, this is like we just talked about where it's basically it's like, oh, this is Blade Run. This is like the this is like the plate footage <laughs> of the of the uh, effect shot for Blade Runner before they put the effects. Yeah, in. this is pretty much a, uh, the, the same scene. It's like the Bluesmobile <laughs> doesn't fly by or anything, but yeah. <laughs> but they actually could have played the bleak, weird music in the beginning of Blade Runner. It would have worked for this too. Yeah, because it's it's just presented without any context you no just i don't think this... there's any sound for the first six minutes of the movie it's just this no, you, well, you just, helicopter shot in this hellhole yeah. <laughs> yeah and that's yeah. it and then we cut we fade to some like dog statues and we pan up to a prison uh while they're putting an american flag up and it's an and an illinois flag so you know it's like okay we're in illinois uh, it's a Joliet Correctional yeah, we're Center. We're actually in a place in Illinois we've been to a lot. Not the correctional facility, but the city of Joliet. Yeah. So it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah well, I, we used to visit our grandparents there, and I I always thought, like, Joliet's like, oh, this is kind of a ritzy place. And I, I didn't know there was a prison there, so I don't know what to think of Joliet. Well, it was a, Joliet was a federal prison. It's closed now. So oh, the okay. federal prisons are nice. <laughs> not, they're not like the state ones. The federal ones are like, oh, unlimited budgets. But the federal ones that weren't like super maxes or some kind of weird holding stations for the people we imprison around the world, those have all pretty much closed. This one has been, was closed in 2002, so oh, okay, it doesn't exist. So you get meet Joliet Jake, Jim Belushi, and he was also just Jake Blues, one of yeah. the Blues Brothers. But uh, in the in, in in the listing, he's Joliet Jake because um, he went to jail. <laughs> so uh, he's a prisoner being led away by guards. Uh, Jake is being released and they're giving him his belongings back. He has a tattoo on his left hand that just says Jake and the box says Jake blues. 
Uh, then we cut to Elwood, who's Dan Aykroyd, and he has Elwood written on his knuckles. So, you know, that's a thing for them. Also, like, Belushi has, like, some weird, I don't know, like, mysticism symbol, like, on, like, the inside of his thumb or something like that. I don't know what that is, but, you know, just fun character stuff. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're rough people. Uh, Dan uh, Elwood pulls up in a used police car. The Bluesmobile. <laughs> it's a very important, also... very important part of the movie. <laughs> Um, it's a 1974 Dodge Monaco. There's <laughs> also a funny bit where like he goes to sign in, or like, he walks up to he like walks up right up to the counter to get his stuff, and then like the guy behind the counter, I think it's uh Frank Oz, yeah, who, who's famous for um, Yoda and stuff like that. He directed some movies too, but he like he kind of motions the guard to pull him back, so they pull him back out of the way so he's not close. And he has to like stand behind this line that's like four feet away. And so he just like comically leans from the line to the, to the table to sign in his name to get his belongings back. I think they took that from clockwork orange. Cause he, <laughs> Alex Delarge has to do that in the prison where the guy shouts like a drill instructor all the time. Okay. So yeah, he, he was like, yeah. Cause he, he just leans on the desk to sign something. And the guy yells at him. It's like, do you see the yellow line? Your feet belong on the other side of it. You know, he's just <laughs> ratchets his voice up and down. So, yeah, I was, so I was like, oh, this is from Clockwork Orange. Maybe it wasn't, but kind of. See that. You know, steal from the best. Why not? Even yeah. Comedy. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to steal from someone, you know, aim, aim for the king. Don't, don't screw around. Uh, uh, Jake gets let out at sunrise. It's like a, the, the like the tunnel is like glowing as he comes out. It's a very good shot. They obviously oh, it's an amazing out. shot. It's like oh, is he walking out of the suitcase and uh, what was the Repo Pulp Man and Pulp Fiction? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like Jake's just walking out of the suitcase and no one's turning into a skeleton. It's amazing. Uh, we get credits. And it's Jake and Elwood. Like they like they cut to like it's like dun dun. And it's a and you know it's you know. Does it say Dan Aykroyd or does it say like Jake Blues? I can't remember if it says their character name or or their actor name. I can't remember. Anyway, so it cuts back to them and it seems like, oh, is there there's there's some strife here? And then they hug, but like basically without emotions whatsoever. They just like embrace. It's like, okay, and then move on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Which I never knew like... Dan Aykroyd was autistic before I paid attention to this <laughs> movie. I was like, oh, okay, I see what he's doing now. He's well i mean here he's supposed to be like the ultimate straight man where he just like, like he literally eats like plain toast like yeah. that's what he likes to eat and he has no emotions and things are just delivered without any irony <laughs> and it's, yeah they have the trademark uh black blues brothers suits which is just you know like black suit and tie they got a black kind of what do you call it a bowler hat or what the hell kind of hat is that and and then sunglasses, so yeah, well, you know, very... they're doing like skinny ties, which are very like fifties. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and wearing the hat like that. Nobody's worn hats like that in a you know long time. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I mean, their whole thing is supposed to be kind of like they look cool, but they're behind the times. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, this movie is an homage to a form. In 1980, this movie was an homage to a dying art form. <laughs> and then it itself became a kind of comedy that is also now a dead art form. Like they don't make comedies like this, you know, anymore. They do different kinds, but they don't, you know, you'd never see the Illinois Nazis in a modern comedy. <laughs> I mean, of course, like, I mean, this comes, you know, of course, Jim Belushi and Dan Aykroyd are coming out of Saturday Night Live. And there's just that whole yeah. milieu and 
Yeah, this was this was when the Saturday Night Live movies were cool, kids. This was you know, <laughs> before they actually quit making them, they got so terrible. Um, so yeah, yeah, this was like the Blues Brothers was like a musical sketch on the Saturday Night Live in the seventies, right? Oh, was it okay? Yeah, okay. yeah, but it was just Dan Aykroyd and and Jim John Belushi doing like a blues act, but poorly. That was kind of like the joke, and then it sort of took on a life of its own. It's like, no, this is kind of cool, and then it became this movie. <laughs> Oh, shit. I wrote Jim Belushi for all this, didn't I? Oh, well, <laughs> okay. If I say Jim Belushi, I mean John Belushi, unless directly specified. Yes, Jim Belushi was not associated with this movie that I know of. <laughs> but he did have a fine career of his own, a different career, yeah. not a comedy career. But he did do something. Well, I mean, the, I mean, the thing about, like, John Belushi is just magic in this movie. And, like, I mean, you know from Saturday Night Live and a bunch of stuff. And, of course, National Lampoon or Animal House. And but you look at his credits, like he only was in like thirteen movies, and only like three of them you know. Of. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's just the heart of this movie. Uh, I did not go and watch Blues Brothers two thousand. No, this. I've never seen it because I heard such bad. Because I had friends that were really into this. Like like when I was growing up, like I had friends that were really into this. Like to the point they liked the music and stuff. I was more like a prog rock guy. So it wasn't really like my music genre, but I did appreciate the movie for being like a yeah. cool comedy. But yeah, I knew guys that were really into it. And when Blues Brothers 2000 came out, I was like, so did you see it or whatever? And they're like, oh, yeah, man, f*** this. They, they just ruined it all. I was like, oh, okay. So if serious fans were saying that, I was like, okay, I'm not going to watch it then. And I never have. I've seen it one time on cable and I can't remember. I only remember one scene from it. There's a part where like they need to get somewhere. And they take the blues mobile and they just drive it into a river and then come out the river the other side like nothing happened and it's just kind of funny. You know, that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then they and they essentially they replace uh, John Belushi with John Goodman, which is a good replacement, but it just doesn't work. Yeah, uh, different kind of actor. I mean, they don't say like he's like his character. He's just like a long lost brother, also or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um. Well, the Blues Brothers like aren't really brothers; they're just orphans that uh, forswore oh, okay. one another in the orphanage. <laughs> so, like, are all the orphans of that time? Their just last name is all Blues or something like that. I, I don't know if these guys the like if these guys changed their name to that or what. But, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you can see this. Be I don't know. It's, it's like people debate as to where Tarantino got like the idea for the suits for Reservoir Dogs. Uh, some people point to this. Some. Although it's like, I mean, this is pretty much the Reservoir Dog suit, just minus the hat. Other people point to a very weird indie actioner comedy called uh, Straight to Hell. Okay. Uh, which is from the guy who made Repo Man. That's one of his. Oh, then that's 80s. what he got it from because Tarantino's referenced Repo Man like a hundred times in a hundred different <laughs> interviews I've seen. So that's where the Reservoir Dogs costumes came from. <laughs> But I'm pretty sure, like, I don't like. I, I mean, he's probably, probably like, aware of this. He's aware of every movie ever made, yeah, I think. Yeah. So it's. But also, if you watch, like, any Japanese movie from the 60s, they also, that's all they wore, too. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jake, Jake is complaining that the Cadillac is gone, the blues, the original Bluesmobile. Uh, Elwood sold it for a microphone, to which Jake is like, ah, okay. That makes <laughs> sense. That. Yeah. <laughs> But then, uh, but then he's mad. He's like, "Why'd you get a cop car?" <laughs> uh, uh, I don't. It's like, what, do you have the line they says? It's like, it's got cop shocks, 
cop tires. Yeah, it's got a brakes. 440 Magnum V8. Uh, it's got cop suspension, cop tires, uh, you know, all, <laughs> the cop motor. And then he proceeds to, uh, or what does he call it? A cop motor or a cop power plant. And then he proceeds to, like, you know, those drawbridges that come up so that things can. A boat can go underneath. Yes. And he proceeds to, like, jump one of those to show it's. And also, oh, it doesn't have. Um, it's pre pre catalytic converter. So yeah. it can run on just regular leaded gas with, you know, because before catalytic converters, you could run really high-powered engines on leaded gas because leaded gas was an anti-knock additive. Yeah. So that, that wouldn't be, that wouldn't resonate with anyone now. <laughs> so then he jumps over this bridge in this, like, suicidal run up, the, you know, which in real <laughs> life would, like, destroy the car and kill them both. But it's like, and then it lands on the other side, and then Jake's like, yeah, it does have good acceleration. Like, that's the whole, like, thing between these two is, Jake gets really upset about things. Elwood gives a flat delivery and then does something wildly destructive or insane. And then they both kind of like agree. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah. You're right about that. But it's yeah, like, yeah. there's no reflection on the fact, Oh, we almost died or a bunch of people probably could have got killed. Nah, it's just, just moving on. Um, when does, uh, when does Dukes of hazard come out? Oh, I, uh, 79. Okay. Because, I mean, that was all Duke's Hazards was, too. It was like, we're jumping. We're also jumping a Dodge. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <was> the thing. <laughs> yeah, it aired from 79 to 85. Now, I was really into that when I was a kid. <laughs> Just a good old boy. <laughs> I think I used to sing that song. I don't know. Mom and Dad played about that. My, my lip sync. Hey, the good, the good old boys are in this movie, too. They were. <laughs> In a bar in Kokomo, Indiana, which is weird because that's where my wife is from. <laughs> like, yeah, are a bunch of hillbillies, aren't you? We watched the movie together. I was like, yeah, that's in Kokomo, Indiana, that kicking bar. That's what they think of. That's what people from New York and Chicago think of Indiana. Just a bunch of <laughs> kickers throwing, throwing beer bottles at a stage. <laughs> and it's actually not a wrong thing to think uh they pull into chicago they stop at an orphanage where apparently jake promised to see a nun when they got out but jake says like i was lying yeah but elwood insists that he can't lie to a nun and so they gotta go see the penguin <laughs> they gotta go see the penguin <laughs> Uh, no, Elwood. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> um, this is where it basically just turns into uh, um, not the Omen. Uh, what's the Omen? Law? What uh, the Exorcist? Exorcist. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's some weird <laughs> shit going on. <laughs> uh, there's like a very brutal Jesus on the cross statue, like hanging at an angle at the top of the stairs. Yeah, it's completely like non sequitur. Like it's like that would never be there for any reason. You, something like that would be in like a a a, a like a cathedral of worship because it's huge. <laughs> this thing's like you know really tall, but now it's just stuck at the top of the stairway as you walk <laughs> into this nun's office who runs this orphanage. And again, I think these scenes were filmed in Gary, Indiana, I believe, <laughs> just because the look was there. It's like, hey, we don't have to build sets. This looks yeah, terrible. The dirt's already here. Yeah. So uh, in case anyone doesn't know about Gary, Indiana, well, look it up. And it's also Chicago adjacent. <laughs> so it's actually authentic, I, I, I could say. Yeah, it's basically just a large industrial area and full of crime. That's all it does is it produces industry and crime. <laughs> well, the thing about gary indiana because i live near detroit which like people 
act like Detroit is the worst place in America because, oh, the auto industry and all the jobs they lost. All that is true. However, Gary, Indiana is like, oh, they lost 90% of their jobs in like a week. It was like when American Steel collapsed, when U.S. Steel just bottomed out. It was like, oh, you went from guys making $70,000 a year in the 70s to <laughs> no jobs, nothing. It's like not even coming close to replacing it. And so everyone left, and the people that stayed, it's basically like a demilitarized zone. Like it's, uh, it's the, I mean, think the biggest thing that happened in, in Gary, Indiana, uh, after the steel collapse was that's where Michael Jackson and his family were from. And then they just sang and danced their hearts out to get the hell away from that place. It's literally the most <laughs> depressing place I've ever seen. Well, I can't, is it South Bend or is it Gary where they, will they make the Abrams tank? Um, I would guess that's South Bend. Oh, okay. But yeah, neither one of those places are like great. I think <laughs> South Bend's still habitable. <laughs> but yeah, that's why when people like they're like, "Oh, Detroit, that must be scary." It's like, no, I can show you scary. Like Detroit's <laughs> actually got some cool stuff in it. I mean, yeah, like D Detroit has like history and culture. Yeah, yeah, there's stuff there mixed with violence and uh, d yeah. depravity. Gary is nothing but a black hole of sadness. Yeah, no, there's nothing. Like, Detroit, there's a reason to... I mean, I'll tell you this. About 25 years of living here, I've been to Detroit a bunch for different things. It's fine. If you are looking for trouble, it is right there, though. I mean, don't, <laughs> don't think that you're going to run your mouth at somebody or for a minute, like, flip someone off in traffic. No, you're going to get shot at if you do that in Detroit. But if you don't do those things and you go to the museum, you go to the ball game, you go have a beer at the bar, you're going to be fine. People are going to be cool. But if you act like yeah, an you... asshole, oh, yeah, you're, you're, it's not going to go good. But there you is still it... reasons to go to Detroit. There's no reason to go to Gary, Indiana. Yeah, There's yeah. nothing. Yeah, in Detroit, you can get, like, a donut made with, like, Kit Kats and Reese's yes. and then pick up some crack around the corner. That's that's Detroit. Yeah, I mean, it's like if you need, like, EDM and whores, you both can be in your hands. But, again, see, that's the bad thing about going to Detroit. If you're going there looking for that shit, you're going to find everything that comes with it. But if you're just going in to take in a ball game, and you pay 30 bucks to park your car, your car is going to be fine when you come back as long as you pay the 30 bucks. That's the thing. <laughs> Don't pay the 30 bucks like, I'm going to park on the street. Well, good luck. <laughs> Go with God on that one because I will always hand that money out the window. Yep, and there is a guy who will sit there in a chair with a shotgun and watch all those cars, and you'll be fine. You, and he will. You'll never have anything to worry about. But, yeah, but yeah, if you go there looking for problems, it's it's – it's like you just you don't even have to lick your thumb and put it up in the wind. The trouble will be right there. <laughs> and people will randomly start beating the shit out of each other. <laughs> I saw but, but the, well you know what you do when you see that happen like, "Oh, that's weird. You walk around it and you proceed to wherever you're going because it doesn't have anything to do with you. They're just yeah. doing whatever the hell they're doing. It's like <laughs> this isn't your problem." I mean, and no one's getting stabbed or shot. They're just, like, wailing on each other's faces. It's like, that's fine. I mean, that's rarely <laughs> fatal unless they pick up a rock or something. But even then, it's like, hey, this isn't my fight. Uh, so, yeah, the, the, it's very starkly lit here. It's, you know, it's kind of got an exorcist vibe. Doors yeah. just start opening and closing by themselves. <laughs> yeah. It's the power, um, power of God. Remember, miracles <laughs> and the power of God 
like this movie makes sense if you never lose sight of that. That's what I love about this movie. It's very well crafted, even though it seems goofy. It's like, oh no, miracles and the crazy stuff that happens later in the movie. It's like, remember, we're on a mission from God. <laughs> and we've seen God's power manifest through this crazy nun in her orphanage. <laughs> so we know it's real in the context of this movie. She tells him to sit down on these like little like desmond for children in the back of the room. And she's like, no, move closer. And so they comically, like, without standing up, like, scoot with the, de like, still sitting in the desk all the way up. And nobody sells it. Like, nobody's like, oh, don't do that or that's weird. It just happens. <laughs> well, again, that's the other thing I love about the, just the, 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 I like to act like these guys do in the context of things that happen in this movie when something horrible or crazy happens and they just kind of get up and like, wow, that's not okay. <laughs> we got to keep going. Like we're not even going to talk about the rest of it. Yeah. And this is where that starts. Cause they're in these old, the wooden style desks, the tiny desks that were made for kids in like the thirties when like 12 year old kids weighed 40 pounds. Like these two <laughs> grown men are trying to sit in those style of desks. Uh, and slide them across the floor to this nun who's always shot with a camera angle way down at an up angle. So she looks like she's 10 feet tall the whole time. Uh, and apparently the nun needs five grand or the city's going to close the orphanage or, or something. And yes, like, the Cook County it. Properties Tax has assessed $5,000 against this orphanage. <laughs> and so I looked up like the con I tried to look up and like understand just because I like to do weird shit like that. Like how many square foot would that orphanage have to be? in 1980 to have that kind of assessment of property against it, considering it's a charitable orphanage run, <laughs> owned by the Catholic church, not running a profit, but I couldn't specifically find. So I was assuming they were way behind on their taxes. Yeah. And that's where this, cause $5,000 is a lot of money in 1980 bucks. Really. It's a lot of money even today, but back then that's like $30,000 today. Yeah. So. Uh, Jake insists they'll get the money, but she doesn't want dirty money. Cause the reason he went to jail was like small arm robbery. Yeah. Uh, to pay a bar tab. Yeah, he stuck up um, a liquor store to pay a bar tab. Some <laughs> stupid stuff like that. <laughs> when they're a performing band, it's like, well, yeah, we can work that bar tab off. But that comes up later in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, like, Jake, and then she, like, I think she racks his knuckles with the ruler and then he starts swearing and then. She basically starts beating them both as they're like swearing. Oh, and they start awful. They get stupid fucking penguin, and they're just like, <laughs> beating them with what looks like a metal rod. You know? <laughs> yeah, because the ruler breaks at some point, so she needs another thing to beat them. With. Yeah. I hear she says not to come back until they redeem themselves, which is an open-ended. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? Does that mean coming back with a clean five grand, or just coming back when they feel like they've redeemed themselves? Uh, and that's up to them <laughs> to decide. Well, I do uh, like that she insists that it can't be dirty money because that's like, well, that would have been, yeah, because immediately Jake's like, no problem, sister. You get it, no problem. And she's like, no, I don't want any filthy crime money. You know? <laughs> He's like, oh, well, how the fuck are we going to, you're fucked. Or she says, so, that's where the hitting starts because he basically he yeah. doesn't say you're fucked, but he says something, <laughs> something you wouldn't say to a nun. Or shouldn't. And then Curtis shows up, played by Cap Calloway. He's kind of like, I don't know. He's a part of the orphanage or something. I'm not exactly sure. He lives he, there, and I think he mentors the children. Yeah, okay. So he greets them. He kind of updates them on the situation. 
so they're kind of he's kind of like a father to them so he, he taught them like blues and stuff like that so that's why like where their musical tastes come from and then they go, they go to a baptist church where james brown is revealed as the reverend and it's a very lively crowd oh yeah people are like doing backflips up to the ceiling and they hired professional dancers to come in and uh yeah they were doing like crazy dancing and we mostly know uh, James Brown that? through Eddie Murphy's Raw, uh, you know, <laughs> and his imitations of, of uh, but yeah. What were you going to say? I'm sorry. Uh, well, I mean, like, yeah, you always see stuff like churches like this. And, like, we never went to a church like that. It's no. like, that seems fun. Like, you'd want to go to church. And that's completely born out of hopelessness. It's like, wow, it's great that you ha can have that kind of hope <laughs> out of such depravity. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's why they have crazy church. <laughs> it's like because you've got church you've got you know you've got like rich we, we were exposed to two kind of churches as a kid you've got the highly ritualistic catholic churches which are cool because you know it's like oh these are traditions that go back a thousand years what these guys are doing and then we had like american protestant churches which were very dour and serious but there was like they were saying cool stuff but we never had like black church where it's like oh at the end of your horrible week, you get to have a party where Jesus is invited and we do all this cool stuff because your life has been horrible the whole week. Whereas like the yeah. churches we went to, the white churches, it's like, well, dad went to work and made a lot of money. And you know, you went to school and got to glue macaroni on something and you did cool stuff like that. And, you know, mom didn't get taken to jail or anything. So we didn't really have to like have a party on Sunday. We were kind of like. It was dour lamentation or ancient rituals. Like, that's what we saw. <laughs> we didn't see anything like this. Uh, but we really the, didn't uh, need it because, like, like, we had television. We had cable TV growing up. We were rich. <laughs> well, after church, what's, I can't remember what it's called. What's the thing you have after church where it's like, you know, like the ham salad sandwiches and, <laughs> and Ritz crackers and the, uh, oh, and the off brand Oreos? I can't remember what it's called. It's, it wasn't called like brunch or something. Like, I forget what the name is called. It has like a, yeah, it did have yeah. like a weird liturgical sounding name. Uh, yeah, I know what you're talking <laughs> about. I've never eaten that ham salad since, but I always remember. I always associate that with church and like lemon lemonade Kool Aid, which wasn't <laughs> that. It was some like weird brand. Um, yeah, and then you got the Hydrox cookies. Yes, um, yes. And you got to hang out with the kids you knew in school who we knew were terrible and said awful things along with you. And then we were all at church. And it's like, well, let's be nice. Don't say the F word in front of pastor. <laughs> I always liked, yeah. I enjoyed church. So I like going to church. It was cool. It was fun. It was like kind of a break from like, oh, everyone has to be nice to me here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's what I like. You know, it's like, well, the idea of church is like, all people are supposed to be good here. You get redemption and stuff like that. And then after a while, what I noticed about church is like, it's essentially the, the greatest, um, Oh, what do you call that? And now I'm forgetting the name. Um, Denial exercise. Uh, maybe. Uh, what's What's the thing that conservatives love to call people who like want to like take their uh, virtue signaling? It's the greatest virtuous signaling that's ever been created. Oh well, yeah, yeah. Where it's like awful people and businessmen that go to church to make sure to do their networking, and they just go to church because it helps their bottom line they don't believe in God. They don't follow the teachings of Jesus whatsoever. Yeah. Oh yeah. And that was like 80% of the, what made up your church. Up. <laughs> it's like, Oh, so church doesn't make you a better person at all. It's just a way to, to grift people. 
<laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. there was there was a certain element. I mean, yeah, there was a certain element of that. I mean, for me, for I me, mean, there there are some great Christians, but that's like ten percent of people that God makes them a better person. Everybody else is just I'm just here to pretend that like I'm gonna get into heaven if I do this. Like, it's 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 two hours and Sundays. There's what's the problem? I don't get. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was cool when I was a kid. I haven't participated in organized religion in a long time. No particular reason. I'm just kind of like, well, that's not my, you know, I like to be alone. So then that's not an alone activity. So it's kind of like, okay, well, I guess I'm not doing that. Uh, I'd also don't like sin throughout the week. So I don't know where that puts me. <laughs> it's not God. I have a problem with it's his fan club. You know, that's always been the thing. It's like God, me and God are cool. I mean, I don't understand him and I don't know if he understands me. He's supposed to, but I don't know. But yeah, it's some of his fan club that really makes things strange. <laughs> yeah, I am trying to find the name of the after church brunch is called, but I put that in and it's everybody just calling it after church brunch. <laughs> no, it had a name. No. It was like Yeah, no, yeah. I thought it was like fellowship or something, but yeah, it's something Maybe, like I don't that. know. It had a name that's some. It sounds. It's like something that sounds vaguely Latin or something. Yes, like I, I know what you're talking about. It's right on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> I can't think of. Um. Anyway, yeah. So James Brown is delivering the sermon. Uh, sermon turns into a, a song and dance sequence. Like literally, it just be this becomes a musical. Which I, mean, I don't. James Brown is think- sweat is pouring off of him. <laughs> That man works. You gotta you gotta let him know. Like this is what cocaine will do for you. Oh yeah. I mean, this is... <laughs> um. Uh, let's see here. But yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I didn't remember this movie basically being like half a musical. I didn't remember it being that. I was like always oh, the car chases and the weird scenes. But like, oh no, there's a lot of song and dance sequences too. Oh yeah. Uh, Jake is shaking and he sees the light. <laughs> Like a light comes down on him, but only he can see it. Uh, and he deems they need to get the band back together. <laughs> uh, and so Jake backflips into the dance into into dancing, and he's dancing with the crowd. And this is really like the magic of Jane Blue. She, I'm pretty sure they got stuntman. Well, maybe I don't know. Maybe he could have done those backflips. Uh, I mean, there's also a cross section between John Belushi and uh, Chris Farley. Yeah, kind of like big guys big that were men. very physical actors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but it is also the stark difference between Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi because John Belushi, you can see the magic in him, like what liveliness he brings to it, and you can see Dan Aykroyd. I'm not sure if he's intentionally playing his character weird and awkward, but it's like whenever Dan Aykroyd dances, it's weird and awkward, and whenever John Belushi does anything, it just seems natural and cool. <laughs> And I don't know if it's a character thing or if that's just Dan Because <laughs> then, then Elrod is struck by the band idea and then he does his goofy dance where he's just kind of like kind of doing like a weird like running man or something. Yeah. <laughs> like a, a running in place dance thing. <laughs> and he doesn't fit in with all the uh, the, the, the the cool black people da- da- dancing around. No. But John Belushi does. <laughs> uh, so again, I don't know if that's character or just Dan Aykroyd, but you know. Dan Aykroyd's a guy like a lot of things don't happen if Dan Aykroyd's not there. So he might not be the best at everything, but things happen because Dan Aykroyd's there. <laughs> so that being the end of Act One, because now we have the thing, we got to get the band back together. So we've Act Two, uh, so the, the Blues Brothers want to get the band back together, but apparently everyone went out and got straight jobs. 
Uh, Elwood guns a yellow light, and then they get pulled over by the state police, which they call them rollers. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard that term before. <laughs> yes, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know where that comes from or goes to. But here, Elwood is worried they have a, a computer criminal database, and that's exactly what happens. They do. They have a computer on board. Uh, and so Elwood just has, like, a ton of parking violations, a warrant out for his arrest for parking violations. His license is suspended. And it says arrest driver impound vehicle. <laughs> uh, and so when they, they, they go to like bring his license back, he just takes off and the state police give chase. Uh, here's where you get the, he says, they're not going to catch us. We're on a mission from God. And this is the first mention of the mission from God, which is a constant refrain throughout the movie. Does Elwood only say that? Or does Jake say that at some point? Does he also say we're on a mission from God? I think they both say it at some point, but you, okay. you remember when Elwood says it, cause it's always that flat delivery. Yeah, and in the like the heavy Chicago accent, like yeah. mission from God. <laughs> they end up like crashing through a Toys R Us and into the mall. This is a crazy sequence. This is the magic of irresponsible filmmaking. Yeah. I don't I didn't even look at the I forget the trivia on this. Is like this a real mall or did they just build a set or what or is this a mall that was being decommissioned or something? I did, this did was called uh what's it called? It it has a name. It. I think it's called the Dixie Mall. Yeah. Dixie Square Mall in Harvey, Illinois. Because they actually jumped over a drawbridge. And I think uh, it was closed in night. Uh, or clo- it was closed in 78 and left abandoned. And then the Blues Brothers like got a permit to shoot there. And they drew. Uh, they kind of like mocked up some storefronts and actual buildings and put some lights behind it. But they, uh, yeah, they were driving through like a mall like that with just people, <laughs> you know, I mean, stunt people and extras just like pinned to the walls and stuff. All these cars were driving insanely high speeds through these storefronts. Just tons of glass storefronts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> amazing. Uh, yeah. And all the cars, like they're kind of squirrely driving. So they're all just like drifting <laughs> yeah i don't know how well those big heavy cars with those wide format suspensions would do on uh, linoleum tile you know, I, don't know how, <laughs> I don't know how cars handle in those there's also you get a cameo because um a bunch of cars there's a bunch of state state troopers also join the chase there's like three of them chasing them in the mall this is one of the reasons why you don't really have like cop chases like you used to because if someone's driving that fast they just kind of let them go and then pick them up later yeah if someone starts driving <laughs> through the mall they're not following them you know, in real life. <laughs> but again that's the that's the fun of the movie is like that's irresponsible and that's hilarious <laughs> until somebody gets killed then it's not um I, I I don't know if there's any injuries in this movie. <laughs> I I haven't I but. never heard of in, I know it's the, like considered the most expensive comedy ever made, mainly yeah. because of the stunts and the number of vehicles that were destroyed, and the fact that they basically had to run a full time body shop for the whole <laughs> shooting of the movie just to keep repairing like the hero cars and stuff. Because even though they had multiple versions of the Bluesmobile, it was just getting torn to pieces and they and they had to keep rebuilding it, repainting <laughs> the body and uh, making it look different for different scenes. And yeah, so it was, it was like, yeah, this movie's budget like balloons to almost <laughs> double what it was supposed to. I mean, in today's money, it'd be like an $80 million comedy. Like that's how much yeah. money it would have cost to do that today. But yeah, they... I think only like maybe the hangover was a comedy that would have that kind of budget. Like yeah. nobody, no, no. I mean, the thing about comedies is you make them cheap 
and then even sometimes it's like well the cheapness of it is what makes it hilarious and so they even spend even less money on it yeah <laughs> it's like isn't it funny how much money we don't have it's like sometimes if you're talented <laughs> yeah only if it works but not in the case of this movie <laughs> Uh, but John Landis gets a ca- cameo here because the cop car that ends up so upside down, he's one of the cops in that car. <laughs> yeah. The one that's rolling on its roof, which if yeah. like it would be nice if that happened in real life because lives <laughs> would have been saved. But usually when a car of that era goes on its roof, you're just getting crushed. It's, the, <laughs> the roof cannot support the weight of the entire giant heavy vehicle. <laughs> Uh, then we cut to we get, we get the Peter Gunn theme playing, which happens a lot in this movie. Yes, I don't know if you know what the Peter Gunn thing. What was that? Was that like a British spy show or what was Peter Gunn? I think so. Yeah, I think it was uh, a spy. Was that the Danger Man? Uh, I can't remember. It's also a vi- and they also use the same theme in the video game Spy Hunter, which yeah. came out like later on in the eighties. So yeah, it's just been around. I don't know if it's like in public domain but like the peter gun theme has been used to put in a bunch of things yeah i imagine it is it's i'm trying to look up the music for the movie because it's this massive list anyway uh they park in an alleyway uh here we see carrie fisher who's just listed as mystery woman but i'll just refer to her as carrie for the rest of this uh she shows up and shoots a rocket launcher at them they like trip and fall. And I don't know if it's intentionally or just like, you know, God helping them out. You know, whatever the rockets miss them. She takes off like the whole, like the whole, like the front door is like blown up and stuff. And they just kind of get up like nothing happened and here. Like it literally says on the building, it says hotel for transient men. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is where Elwood's been living. <laughs> Uh, it's a small room, like one room, like that's basically just a small closet hallway thing. The the uh, the L train shakes the room often, like it just basically never stops. And uh, and Jake's like, it's like how often does a train come by? He's like, often enough that you'll get used to it. <laughs> Which I don't know. I've never. This is like a constant thing, especially in movies in Chicago about like you know everyone lives next to the L train. Yeah. Um, which, if you don't know, means the elevated train. <laughs> we talked that around Chicago, yeah, yeah. several times. Um, but like almost in everything that takes place in Chicago, it's like everybody lives next to the L. I, I've never actually been in a like a room that was like next to the L, other than like you know the train platform. So, I actually, don't know how noisy it is. It just it uh, looks cool to yeah. drive underneath and it's also when you're doing it at 120 miles an hour like they are later in this movie for real it's like <laughs> oh yeah hit one of those metal poles just, you know <laughs> it, it, it watch the car like extrude the other through around the other side like grated cheese yeah that's uh <laughs> it's just it's always been uh yeah those those have always been um they film a lot of, there's a lot of cool places to film in chicago uh and this was one of the first movies i think that filmed there in a long time well, I mean, like the—I mean, the French Connection was not too long before this, and also had a very famous car chase. But yeah, in the same area, same exact place yeah. too. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, this is where like Elwood has his like coat hanger toaster that he hangs on like a like a little like uh, heating element, <laughs> very a jail thing. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, remember when? The, and I do like it after they get the rocket fired or the quad rocket system fired at him. 
uh, they just kind of brush themselves off and walk inside. Like, you know, they don't yeah. even really acknowledge it. And then as he's heading upstairs, the guy's like, hey, Elwood, you got my cheese whiz? And he's like, oh, yeah. And he throws he him a thing out, of <laughs> out of his pocket and throws it to him. It just keeps going. Like, not just yeah, a total yeah. non sequitur. <laughs> that's what I like the most. See, I want to live my life like this with people when they ask me weird stuff. It's like, yep, I got your cheese whiz. <laughs> I was thinking of you, transient man. <laughs> yes. See, they're always helping people. And where was you know where, what where was that cheese was all this time? <laughs> uh Jake passes out, Elwood sleeps in a chair. It's the next day Carrie Fisher shows up again with a bomb. <laughs> uh well she just has like a remote control device. Oh yeah. Uh right. so you don't know what it is. You don't know what that is doing yet. Uh, Officer Mount shows up, and John Candy plays Burton Mercer. He's like a detective. Um, parole officer, because, I thought. Oh, is it parole? Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Because, uh, you know, you know, they're they're wanted now, but like Elwood wrote his dr- address as Wrigley Field, and so, uh, you know, they did some digging, and it's like, ah, this is where they're really at. So they go up to like go arrest them, and then as they as they kick open the door, uh, Carrie Fisher hits her remote control device and just the whole like front of the building just collapses in because a bomb blows up yeah yeah again a very crazy scene uh and then the blues brothers just casually crawl out of the rubble and brush themselves on yeah and then like continue on their task of reforming the band yeah i mean they were like dead asleep and they're basically <laughs> waking up under rubble and they just like you know just dust themselves off climb out of these bricks and just go on that's what i love about this movie there's all (laughs) kinds of scenes like that where i mean you don't know like a hundred people could have died in the collapse of that building you don't know how many people are in there or what they're doing (laughs) because you see like the cops like john candy crawl out a little later yeah but it's like you know they stop at a house looking for band members (laughs) this is miss tarantino (laughs) (laughs) which i remember thinking like quentin tarantino that's a weird name so i guess you know (laughs) That name was in the ether before he became known. So she has, she asks, "Are you the police?" Because they, because they sound official. And of course, you know Elwood's very monotone, and so she basically like lets they're in suit. So she just lets them thinking they're like official people or whatever. And she's like, "She's like, oh, you're looking for the guys. Like, like, are you the police?" And he just goes, "No, ma'am. We're we're, mus- we're musicians." But they're <laughs> so, asking like weird questions, like, "What were their habits?" What did they do? Like, they know these people, but they're just, she was like, well, they were loud at night, but they were good boys. And, you know, so, they're, so they're, yeah, they're asking strange questions in a strange way. Yeah. And she's just rolling with it. It's yeah. like, I'll tell them, I'll tell these men. They seem nice. They seem uh, And then she hands them a card where they, they find out that the other band members are like doing like dinner performances or something. Yeah, this is where we learned that uh, Jake got put in jail for robbing a gas station to pay for the band's bar tab. <laughs> Cause this is where they're trying to convince the band. Like we need to get back together. I was like, do you know, do, do you know what he did for you? That's why he's been in jail the whole time. Why the band broke up and stuff like that. Yeah. Murph and the magic tones are playing at a holiday <laughs> Inn somewhere where nobody's around. Yeah. <laughs> Which I've never been to those places, but it, it's always like a thing in, in Hollywood is like, yeah, these, these, you know, uh, dinner theaters or whatever exists, but I've never been to one. Oh, I've been to, the, yeah, I've been on the road, like going to different car plants, like looking at stuff and sorting things. And, <laughs> yeah, they'll have some local group in the hotel lounge. 
and it's like, hey, you want to watch this? I was like, no, this just screams depression at me. This is, <laughs> this is like, ah, yes, the days in where dreams come to die. It's <laughs> like, nope. Uh, so, like, yeah, they convinced the the Murph and the, what was it, the? Murph and Mac- the Magic Tones. <laughs> it's kind of fun. There's two Murphys in the band. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, or is, is it is it he's also Murphy or is it Murph his first name? Uh let's see. There is um there's an actual musician. Uh let me Yeah, all it. these musicians are like that's their actual names or whatever. Yeah, Murphy Dunn, that's Murph in the magic tones. That's his first okay. name is Murphy. And then there's a Matt Guitar Murphy. Yeah. He's the cook, uh Retha Franklin's husband. Yeah. So he's like um uh he's the next guy they find. And the and they basically like Aretha Franklin does a faint you know one of her famous songs and he just decides yeah I'm gonna leave my family and go with the Blues Brothers which is like dark <laughs> and it's like okay cool uh, then we cut to the Blues Brothers like spin park their car at a fancy restaurant I love this scene <laughs> I've like, uh, acted something like this before when I'm trying to annoy people when they're really snobby it's you know. It's like, <laughs> How, how much for the little girl? How much? Your women. <laughs> I will buy them. How much? It's like, you better shut up. You know, they never react like the guy in the movie does. People always want to get up and fight. And I'm like, oh, I'm just kidding. You know, because when, whenever people get snotty with me, I'll act like it's some kind of weird foreigner, <laughs> like, like some kind of strange Eastern European. It's like, are you acting this way because you want me to sleep with your wife while you watch? Is this what you're telling me? Is it small? You know, it, it, usually end up getting punched but it's funny it's a fun story to tell people uh they're here to recruit mr fabulous which i can't remember is he like the piano player or yes what is he? i think okay. he is uh no he's a trumpet player okay um they're immediately clocked by the crowd as being invaders in a room full of rich people oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a fancy french restaurant yeah i mean they're selling wine for uh, you know, Pee Wee Herman is selling him a bottle of wine for like $150 in like 80s bucks, which like that's really expensive. <laughs> oh, I didn't spot. I didn't spot that. That was uh, yeah, that was uh, Pee Wee Herman, Paul Rubens himself. <laughs> um, he didn't do the weird voice like when he had the cameo in his own movie. <laughs> Paging Mr. Herman, you remember that one? Where they like, dubbed <laughs> the voice over him because. Uh. I was hoping um, he would talk like that again. It's like, ah, that's weird. I'm going to have to research why they do that, but it didn't happen. So. <laughs> uh, they, they they sit down to eat. They're slurping champagne, yeah. which is fun. And they're eating like, uh, oh, the what are the shrimp, shrimp cocktail, shrimp but cocktail, like giant they're shrimp. crossing their arms and just <laughs> getting it on their face. And, and throwing pieces into each other's mouth. Yeah, I love it. I would love to do that in an expensive restaurant. Yeah, just like the one guy's like got bread and he's like blocking his hand and it flies into the guy's mouth. And it's like, <laughs> this is amazing. And everyone's looking at him like, you know. Yeah, and then, Excuse and then, yeah, me, sir. Much... Come here. He calls the maitre d'or. Those men smell <laughs> bad. <laughs> Jake puts on some Eastern European accent and is actually yes. asking some rich guy to sell, like, how much for the women? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then they basically end up blackmailing Mr. Fabulous into getting back into the band with them, uh, which is a nefarious tactic, but it seems to work for them pretty much the whole movie. And, and he says he's making $600 a week being the maitre d' there. It's like, oh, he's pulling down as much as, like, an you know executive for, it's like, yeah, let's screw him out yeah. of this job. <laughs> 
Oh, we cut the next day. <laughs> this comes out of nowhere. There's a white power Nazi group spreading propaganda in front of a, in front of a much larger crowd of protesters. So obviously they're not liked, but yeah. Which is weird because like <laughs> Illinois is uh, like that, that's where Lincoln Rockwell was from, and so there's like there are real Nazi like roots there in Illinois. That's why it was so funny <laughs> when they were talking like. Oh shit, Illinois Nazis, you know. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah, they're real really really uh, were Illinois Nazis at one time. So because the Nazis are blocking traffic, there's like the tra- traffic's backed up and then here we cut to like Jake and he, or I think or maybe it's Elwood, he goes Elwood. I hate Illinois Nazis. <laughs> and then he just guns the car through the Nazis and they all have to like jump off the bridge and the Nazis like get that man's license plate and they basically declare revenge yeah <laughs> and then they're just set off to the side for a while so you know <laughs> uh and then we get the uh oh what is it the uh, what's it uh was it something lee hooker does john lee john hooker everyone knows that uh which from this podcast and uh, the the earlier format we heard a bunch of times for the uh, the NCIS New Orleans that was their their yes. the, the theme song for that show. <laughs> Very famous. But here they are in Chicago. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah here's where they go to the restaurant and uh, Elwood asks for dry toast and it's like, "You want anything on it? Butter?" He's like, "Dry." <laughs> and then then she asks Jake, "It's like, what do you want?" And he's like, four fried chickens and a coke." And then she's like. Do you want like chicken wings or breasts? And he just reiterates four fried chickens and a Coke, meaning he wants whole fried chicken. Yeah, I just want whole fryers and a Coke. (laughs) It's like, that's like 5,000 calories. (laughs) Although I was here, I was, you ever heard of the fool's gold? Yes. It's like this famous uh, treat that, Elvis would have where he would just like fly him and his cronies out to like Las Vegas or something just to get the sandwich, which is like, like a whole French loaf of bread scooped out and filled with like peanut butter and jelly and bacon. And then fried. <laughs> yes. Yeah, fried. Rocked into a fryer. Yeah. He's flying like a, his private 707 out there. <laughs> it's which even at that back then, that would be like three or $4,000 in just fuel. You know, it's, it's like, okay, cool. Uh, I've actually tried something like that. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, oh yeah, it's good. I mean, it's good. <laughs> I think there's also a banana in there. Okay. Um, yeah. 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 yeah there's a lot of stuff in there. <laughs> it's amazing. I've had, I've made a yeah. version of it at home. It sounds, well, it sounds amazing and awful at the same time, but it's like, I got to try this at some point, but it's, it's also, it's also like mythological almost and like, you know, with stature. So, Oh no, if you can, you can, um, I have, what did I do? I did a version of it. I forget. I used a different kind of bread, but yeah, I essentially hollowed something out peanut butter jelly banana in it and i i put it in an oven and fried it in butter and i ate it i ate the whole damn thing and it was amazing i don't know if it was as good as what elvis had but it's like oh i get it but i did it out of curiosity and because i like food not because i'm running from my childhood or something so it was, it was a different format the reason i did it um, uh oh well, yeah yeah aretha franklin here is the waitress and then Matt Guitar Murphy is the cook at the restaurant, and they're they're a married couple. Uh, well, presumably they're married, or you know, you know. 
Um, yeah, I don't know if they have a family or whatever. He takes off pretty quick with the blues. <laughs> Uh, then it turns into a musical dance sequence. I didn't know if, like, wait, is this Aretha Franklin's Freedom Song, or is this just, like, greatest hits, like, thrown in here of, like, recognizable Aretha Franklin kind of, like, like uh, lines, or is or is this just her, or is this where that song came from? <laughs> no, I think this is just an Aretha Franklin song they repurposed for this. Uh, okay. All right. For this um, movie. Um, yeah, but of course she's great. You know, she's Aretha Franklin. Yeah, it was amazing. It was like, oh, this is probably the coolest thing. Except for John Lee Hooker in front of the place, this was probably the coolest song in the movie. Well, <laughs> no, I, the one, the Blues Brothers song at the end was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, and then like people are dancing outside and it's just <laughs> dancing occurring everywhere. Uh, the Blues Brothers like going dancing and then it kind of slows down. And well, we also have the other cook like the line cook or whatever, however that works out, playing the saxophone. Yes. And and then Matt grabs his guitar and then he quits. And like Aretha Franklin's like, hey, if you leave, like we're done. He's like, okay. <laughs> and then puts th- throws his apron on the floor and walks out. It's like, and again, it's another like auspicious situation. It's like, it really doesn't seem like joining the Blues Brothers is the best idea. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you did you hear this woman sing? I'd stay with her. <laughs> Uh, and like we don't know if they're married if they have kids at home but he's just walking out <laughs> you better think about what you're doing to me it's like you don't know what that means but again like you said earlier just like the casual disrespect for like human suffering in this movie is what <laughs> makes it I- I- interesting and fun it's like there's no consequences in real life <laughs> come with us we're on a mission from god <laughs> which is well, also that, used to justify a lot of irresponsible things in the yeah. real world too so well the only thing that softens it here is that like the saxophonist line cook like kind of looks at her and is like can i go too and she's like yeah go ahead yeah so it's not like it's like i'm not going to be able to feed my kids now that that's gone it's that that's yeah so it does kind of so because that's the thing like this movie is about irresponsibility and and goofy action but there's also like a subtext here of of like oh no people's lives suck and poor it it (laughs) sucks to be poor it sucks to be an orphan or an ex-con or or a black person in general because it's like (laughs) well you have cool churches and everyone breaks out into song and dance but your lives ultimately suck and and you've got illinois nazis chasing you around (laughs) or the good Um. old boys (laughs) Uh, we cut to the curl up and die beauty salon. I know. I love that. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, that's great. I think that's the first time this viewing was for the first time I noticed that. <laughs> Which I mean, there's been like, you know, airplane came out before this or just the year before. So, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, that kind of comedy where it's just like jokes and gags in the background. Like it's in, it's in the milieu but it's not it's not too hardcore here. But there is a lot of stuff like that where it's just, you know, like the hotel for transient men, girl up and die beauty. There is stuff like that kind of sprinkled throughout. But it's not like it's not constant like the airplane movie. Yeah, I mean, like, that. the, like that's my kind of humor, like the complete non sequitur humor where no one's acknowledging. It's just up yeah. to you, the audience, to read that. It's like, where are they going? What the hell's going on? But the thing with airplane, like, what the reason it's one of my favorite movies of all time is just like the gags per minute. 
of really funny stuff is like that's got to be a record-breaking movie that one just that <laughs> well, it's the also first like, one alone it's like insane. Well, it's like you, well like most comedies it's like once you watch it once there's no reason to watch it again it's like the jokes are going to get less every time the great thing about airplane movies is just finding little jokes in the background and stuff and that's and amazing. an airplane like watching it with like modern with the modern world we live in it's just like where you Arab guys could buy bombs at the gift shop in the in, in the uh, in the airport. Like, oh, that was funny and ridiculous. Even though planes were being blown up, then it's like, oh, we yeah. can laugh. You would, you couldn't come within ten miles of doing that now, regardless of how funny it was. So yeah, that. But yeah, the curl up and die salon was. I didn't know. Here we have. But here it's uh, Carrie is looking at a manual for a flamethrower, and that's just kind of like the in between. It's like, well, we know that's probably going to pop up then. Yeah. Uh, next day, the band is going to, to a, music, a musical instrument store. Ray Charles is the salesman. Yep. <laughs> here, here it's like, yo, everybody knows, oh, it's Ray Charles. He's blind. But here they don't necessarily like, you're blind. It's just funny that we know Ray Charles is blind. Yeah, no one acknowledges acting... it. <laughs> Like a kid in the background is trying to steal a guitar and Ray just fires a gun at the wall. It's like sad to see the young ones trying to go and turn turning turning on the wrong side. Which no one really reacts to in any way. Like a guy just no. fired off a gun in a store who was ostensibly blind and didn't kill anyone but came close and he shot at a kid and everyone's like yeah, okay. Anyway, how much you know it's a, that's what i love about the kind of that kind of humor is like yeah whatever it's not my problem uh, um he's trying to sell him a piano he says it was, i think he sold it for two grand he says i'll throw the black keys in for free yeah which is a fun thing so yeah it's a fun little salesman thing where they try to like no this whole thing's come together because they're gonna make it sound like they're giving you a deal on stuff that just comes with the unit <laughs> I like to tell customers when we install furnaces that like it comes with a free fire alarm check. Yeah. You know, just it's a little joke because <laughs> uh, new furnaces, they they put like a kind of oil on them for uh, keeping them from corroding and like transportation and storage. Yeah. And so when you fire them up, like it'll kind of like have this kind of weird kind of light mush marshmallowy linoleum smell <laughs> that'll come out. Um, and dust, you know, kind of like dust that's been sitting around starting to get heat, hit with heat. And then I'll set off all the fire alarms usually. <laughs> so yep. it's like, yeah, free, free fire alarm check. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna know everything's working. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the guy, the guy's like, yeah, this piano doesn't have any action. And so Ray plays the piano to prove it. It's, it's got action. And of course, you know, he does a great job because it's Ray Charles. Yeah. And it's amazing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, another thing where like people are just dancing outside and everything you know it's just you know it's it's non sequitur it's just there's dancing everywhere it's like it's a it's a musical dance sequence so just everything's happening all at once and then we kind of end with like the blues brothers like they're gonna get their instruments for the band and then ray knows like they don't have any mon money for them so it's like well i guess it's gonna be an iu isn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and they're kind of sad as like, usual yeah. it's an iou <laughs> but he says it in that ray charles way where you know, yeah, it sounds cool. Yeah, it's like <laughs> it softens it a bit. <laughs> the brothers got to make a phone call. Uh, here, there's like you can see framed directly intentionally in the background is just a giant propane tank. Uh, and then she hits them with a shits the propane tank with a flamethrower that explodes, which comically sends a model of a 
of a phone booth flying into the air, like almost like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <laughs> yeah. That's what it looks like. Uh, and then it falls to the ground and they just get out like nothing happens. Like, hey, oh, hey, it's like we're out of money because like all they have was like a quarter to make a call. It's like, hey, we got seven bucks here. Because <laughs> the phone cracked open when it fell. It came back down to the ground and no one got hurt. <laughs> and again, they just kind of get up and like, well, on to the next thing. <laughs> uh, then we cut the, the Nazis figure out like that they're after the Blues Brothers. Uh, but then they end up going to Wrigley Field because they get duped by like where they left, which means that like oh the Nazis have infiltrated the Illinois government. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Who knows at that time? I don't. You know, maybe that all maybe all that stuff was just free to the public if you knew. But yeah, uh, I mean, I think like with that stuff, you had to like know where to look. Yeah. It's not like today where there's like someone in a computer in a basement somewhere. <laughs> trying to access I, I, things that, and a lot of things and that was all like that was that was still like 1980 was still like they were just getting into computers there was a lot more paper stuff back then yeah and you had to know where to look and i'm sure if you had like a dedicated enough overgroup and fuhrer and depends on you know what part <laughs> of the city government he worked in he could probably find out all kinds of things yeah or the nazis were the cops and they didn't want to say that because <laughs> now they'd say that yeah, because remember the Republicans used to say like we're not racist. Now the nowadays it's like no, no, we're racist. So it's like yeah, it's like, <laughs> no, no one's hiding it anymore. It's we're kinda, racist. We're on your side. Remember that. <laughs> it's kind of weird how poignant the Illinois Nazis are today versus what almost forty years ago when this movie was made. It's like oh, that was a joke back then. Now it's like wow, we're back into serious territory again. <laughs> Uh, then we cut to Bob's Country Bunker. <laughs> In Kokomo, uh, Indiana. <laughs> uh, it's a country bar. It's mostly empty at the moment, but, you know, they haven't started yet. Um, Jake bluffs his way into stealing the the original band spot, which is the good old boys <laughs> band. Yeah, it's funny. The uh, Blues Brothers show up. They, they look like anything but the good old boys. And it's like, yeah. okay, cool. Uh, there's chicken wire on the stage so people can throw beer bottles at them. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, would still shatter and fly through. Yeah. Well, actually, and, if you can shatter. Does. That's what it does here. If you can shatter glass on chicken wire, I'm actually pretty impressed. It's like that's like really taut chicken wire. Or it's like this stainless steel chicken wire that has no give. But, yeah, for, for the, you know, for the purpose of the movie, it's an interesting thing. Um, I always, I've always heard like stories of bands, like you know, like you know, you're you're playing a shit place when they have like chicken wire or like a fencing up in front of it because like yeah, the crowd is going to fencing like you have outside inside this place. Well, that's in case they rush the stage so we don't have to pay your medical bills. Like, oh, great, are some happy people. Uh, they they start playing so glad you made it, uh, and then like the crowd's not having it. Like they just want to hear country music. Uh, I, I, th I think he says like, I think Jake at some point asked like the waitress, like what kind of music do you play here? And she's like, both kinds, country and Western. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and so yeah, like the, the, you know, what's funny here is that like they get mad hearing a song that they don't want to hear or, you know, they don't want to hear anything new or good. And so they start throwing beer bottles and stuff at the stage. But then when they play a song they like, 
they still throw beer bottles at the stage. It's just something you do. Yeah, it's just like we're still angry. Our lives still suck, but we just prefer hearing Rawhide like played five hundred times, or you know whatever the joke was. And they also played yeah, Stand I, By Your Man, um, yeah, which was funny. Yeah, they start playing big, Rawhide in here, but Jake is like reluctantly singing back up. <laughs> Where he's just like he was doing the up, deep voice right part up. of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he's very annoyed that he doesn't get to play the music he wants to. Uh, yeah, then they play "Stand by Your Man," and then like the the, the this kind of calms the the crowd down, especially the couples. Uh, and it brings one lonely guy to tears. Yeah, yeah, the guy literally in the the stereotypical long haul trucker guy, is like crying. Um, uh, then, then it comes to the, like pony up. It's like you know they're trying to get the money for the performance. And it's like, well, you earned two hundred dollars, but you drink three hundred dollars worth of beer. So, so now they need to skip out on the tab. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, and because of this, the band, yeah, because they know, like, they, they just stole this gig, so they don't have a gig that Jake promised them. Uh, and so the band is basically already on the verge of breaking up, so it's like, this isn't going well. The brothers skip out on the tab. And then the then... actual good old boys show up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, way later, like, the bar is closed, and they're late for the gig for some reason that's never explained. And then uh, Jake yeah. tries to run like a union scam on him. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your boy's got your performer's card or whatever. And then he gives him an obviously Jewish name like, oh, I'm Mr. <laughs> Steiner or whatever. I'm, you know, the union <laughs> rep for these parts. And you got to have a card to perform. And, and of course, the who's the guy who plays the head of the good old boys? He's been in everything. Yeah. Um, oh, what's his name? Charles Napier. Uh, who's like, I think he might still be alive. Oh, no, he died in 2011. But, yeah, you know this guy from anything. Yeah. And he's basically, like, implying, it's it's like, yeah, I got a card for you, and I'll shove it up your ass. Or, you know, it was some, some, something <laughs> like that, I forget. He's like, well, let me go talk to the owner and see what I can work out. And then he walks away from him, facing him, walking backwards to the car, <laughs> and they basically just skip out on the tab. They just drive away. <laughs> Now the band pulls up in like one of those kind of bus Winnebago's, yeah. But then they give chase in like a smaller Winnebago. Yeah, I never understood like who owns that? The Bob's Bunker Country Bunker guy, or is that a second? Is that an escape vehicle they had? Because you got like four guys in the top looking out. Yeah, it's, you, yeah, it's very weird. And then you got like the main singer and the owner of the bar in the in the cat in the cabin driving. Yeah, and and Charles Napier is loading up a double barrel shotgun. And they shoot out the back window of the car. Yeah. But then they, but then like the the Blues Brothers uh, cross the state police that they've met before, and then as they start to go pull after them, they end up running into the Winnebago, <laughs> and uh, wrecks both the Winnebago and the and the cars, and and then they arrest the the good old boys. Yeah, uh, but you know, only for a little bit. They'll show back up. What they arrested them for, I wouldn't know, because like te technically just slammed into the side of them. I mean, maybe, maybe for shooting out the window. I don't know, but yeah, yeah. that probably was illegal back then. I'm not sure. The brothers meet with the Maury the Booker, which they oh, they just make this character like obviously Jewish. I think so, <laughs> I don't yeah. know. I don't. I don't necessarily know why. It's like, well, I, that could be just like this is who this guy is. Like, I'm not hiding it and stuff. But you know, it's it seems like a stereotypical thing where it's like 
Oh yeah, like the the management guy is Jewish, of course. That's how it works. And they're meeting in a sauna. Yeah, <laughs> which is like weird. Because everyone's just uh, got towels on. Well, initially you see the three of them. They just they're sitting yeah. there with towels on. Yeah. Then they comically reveal that the, the entire band is there, just off in the corner, like shoulder to shoulder, <laughs> which is a great reveal. Yeah, and this like sauna that must be as big as like a you know football stadium. Or yeah, it's, just, it's got all these people in it. Uh, they cut to the orphanage, like they're having their stuff repossessed, uh, which is always a thing that happens in movies. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they just send like moving guys in to take all your stuff. It's like, yeah, I don't think that's actually how that works. <laughs> it's, it's an effective like visual, I guess. You know what's going on. I mean, I've seen stuff where it's like the, there was like a like low income housing on the street, and like every every like week or month, you would just see like, oh, someone's entire life is just thrown on the side of the. On oh yeah, this, there's on like the couches street. on the side of the road and books and. It's like oh somebody did get evicted but i've never seen like in the midst of like oh you're on the verge of eviction and so we're just starting the process early and taking all their stuff it's yeah. like because <laughs> there's never like the 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 follow-up it's like well we got the money you're gonna put that stuff back in. <laughs> it's like nope uh, yeah because uh, before you serve the eviction notice if you do that that's just called robbery is what that is <laughs> like, that, that's how that works but yeah but it's an effective in a movie to convey something without having to yeah. explain it. So that's why. Yeah. The, the, it's like the walls are closing in kind of thing. So. Yeah. Uh, the montage, there's a montage of the brothers advertising their show. Cause, cause they get a, they get a big gig at some, like, I think it's called like the palace or something. I don't know if it's a real place or not, probably, but they're like, he's like, yeah, I'll get you the room, but it's like, it's way too big for you guys being that like, no, <laughs> like, I don't know if you don't know how big the blues brothers were before, so you don't know if anybody knows them now. There's like must be no nostalgia for the act. So it's like, how are you going to sell a room for a band that's just reformed that people barely know who it is anyway? Yeah. But, you know, they're on a mission from God. So <laughs> it'll work out. So they put like, um, the largest speaker you can find. <laughs> they just rope tie it down to the top of the blues mobile. It looks like an air raid siren. Uh, and then they even have like uh, Curtis like has like all the orphans. Like not as like labor, just like hey kids, you want to get the word out. So and then it's onto the kids, onto themselves. They were trying to be like, hey, go see the Blues Brothers, like so we can keep a house. Yeah. <laughs> I like how there's no dark subtext about, hey kids, you want to keep living in a Catholic orphanage for boys. Like, that never <laughs> like be. that never becomes like a thing. Like oh no. And then the car, then the Bluesmobile runs out of gas, and then they get to the gas station. Which is also out of gas, <laughs> which for a late seventies movie would make sense. That was, a, yeah, that was a thing. So, which I think, I think there's been one time, I've been to a gas station where it was like we're out of gas. Yeah, I, yeah, I haven't seen that a lot. I've seen it sometimes. I want to say it was like, it was like two days after nine eleven. There was just a rush on gas. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, like the gas was like five dollars a gallon here, or well, at some places. Yeah, and then I remember those places like immediately came under new ownership like two months later because <laughs> like if you did that, they're like, oh, they just pulled your business license because <laughs> there was no change in price that justified that. They were just they were just gouging people. Yeah. So somebody's Rashid's cousin had to come in and buy it from you know. <laughs> 
Yemen or wherever. At least that's what happened <laughs> around here. I don't know. But what on other places? Uh, so that's the end of Act 2. We have Act 3. The, we have the palace is filling up with fans and enemies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. because now the great, Illinois great Nazis, crowd. the good old boys, and the Illinois State Police, who all kind of serve the same master in some people's eyes, know that the Blues Brothers <laughs> are going to be at the Palace Hotel Ballroom north of Chicago. By the way, not a real place, just something made oh, up, okay. I guess. Elwood hits on some British lady, which I guess here it's it's is this Twiggy? Yeah, Twiggy. She was a supermodel at that time. Yeah, I only vaguely know of her. Um, she was kind of a hottie from a different era. I well, I only, I only know yeah, I only know her of Bill Maher's description of her, because uh, you know, of course, Bill Bill Maher, uh, of course, he's very uh, what do you say that uh, you know. Um, charitable to people's emotions and he, he's describing yeah, Marilyn Monroe nice guy yeah <laughs> he was describing Marilyn Monroe as a giant fat ass and Twiggy was like the the correct proportions for a supermodel and stuff like yeah that. yeah <laughs> I, want, like, I, I want him and um James Woods to read my eulogy at my funeral that they because <laughs> I really love the way they talk about people it's fun <laughs> About no, you know, about people who don't deserve. If you deserve it, I'm all for. Yeah, talk as mean as you want about people, but yeah, don't like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Twiggy was not of the big voluptuous booty era of of models. I, I forget what's going on here. He like kind of cons her out of ninety five dollars, and then says like, "Hey, wait for me at this hotel." And I don't know what that whole subplot is about. <laughs> uh, someone who was developing that movie was trying to bang Twiggy and put her in it. Oh, okay. I mean, that's literally how someone explained it. And I was like, well, that might okay. be true. Or it, it, it's like, it makes the most sense. I don't know if it's true. I'd have to ask Dan Aykroyd the next time I see him. But, um, <laughs> well, it's interesting aside because it's like the whole time it's, it's like Elwood is pretty much, you know, the weird straight guy here. So it's, it is weird that he's like, he, and sexless. So it is weird. How he's like hitting on a w woman here. It's like, where's this going? Yeah. And it's also cool that he cons her out of like a nine, you know, like $80 more than what yeah. that should have cost. And of course she doesn't think you know anything of it. Like, Oh, here, <laughs> and you keep the change. So yeah, he's like trying to con her in two ways. Uh, but yeah, they get money for gas and then they, the, the truck shows up with gas to fill up the gas station and they get their gas and they pull away. Uh, they park the they they the brothers park their car under a bridge. Oh no! Let's and, like, not they, forget that they also accidentally like explode the gas station. Oh, they do. <laughs> For some reason, I forgot that. Yeah, yeah. Like the uh, some, I forget. Like somebody throws a lighter down on the ground. It's just something like okay. silly that happens, and that it's like the most violent. It's like even bigger than the gas station explosion at the end of uh, like uh, Maximum Robo Overdrive. You oh, know, okay. <laughs> it's like an insane explosion of this gas station. It's like, oh, okay, they just had to put that in. Um, but again, they just like, huh? It's, you know, we're just driving away from whatever's going on. It's not our problem. Never yep. will be. Huh. <laughs> So they park their car under a bridge and they pan up to like basically the whole state police are after them. Like every inch of the bridge is covered with cars and cops with shotguns. Yeah. <laughs> Great shot. <laughs> oh yeah, it's insane. <laughs> and so then uh Elwood like has a canister of this volatile gas. 
that like as soon as the police cars start taking off, the the tires will explode. Oh, okay. Now this might have been on the long version I watched, and maybe it wasn't in yours because it seemed like an extra scene almost. It's like, oh yeah, they spend five minutes explaining how they're sabotaging all the police cars like parked on the outside, so the other ones can't get past them. Yeah. When it's time to leave, I don't know if you saw that or not. No, the one. Well, the one I was thinking of is he, he has like a can of glue where he he sabotages the good old yeah, boys. That like, happens too, but he also has yeah. gas that he's like putting in the tires okay, the that tire makes sense. Yeah. of the police cars. That's why their tires ex- explode as soon as they take yeah. off. Yeah, that makes sense why the cop cars are flying and exploding yeah, and tripping all of themselves. Okay, that, that would make a logical sense. That seems unnecessary to explain for a comedy, but it's it's fun. So <laughs> It's part of the mechanics of the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. it's like, how is this happening? Like, here you go. <laughs> are you happy now? It's just like, no, I'm autistic, so I don't understand humor. But anyways, <laughs> Curtis covers for the brothers and buys them some time. So he breaks out into his own performance. This is kind of the vaudeville call and response performance, which really gets the crowd who are like very angry, <laughs> but, like very the, angry. <laughs> like they're happy to see the Blues Brothers, <laughs> but they're late. So now they're angry. Yeah, this is this guy's like uh, signature thing. He does many the moocher. Yeah, which is is what is is it's like that kind of scat, jazz vaudeville where he's like hidey hidey hidey. Everyone's heard this. Everyone knows this. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is actually it's a cool. It's a sort of like oh, if I was in a jazz club in the '30s and I was drunk, this would be fun to listen to. Like I get, I get it. <laughs> uh, the brothers are outside. They need to sneak into their own performance because all the cops are outside covering the doors, which is funny because they just like have them kind of like hiding behind columns where it's like. You could see them for miles, and there's just one cop who's sleeping, standing up. So, yeah, that's just fun. Yeah. Uh, here's where we get Elwood sabotaging the good old boy band bus by, like, he glues the accelerator down and the the uh, top of the accelerator so they're, fo- they're stuck to the gas pedal, too. Yeah. Uh, here, here's where the cops decide that they're going to hang out. <laughs> it's like, well, I haven't heard them sing, so, you know, why don't we not arrest them just yet? It's just like, let's let them sing. <laughs> yeah, we're only pulling like $100,000 every 10 minutes of overtime on this operation, but <laughs> let's take in the show while we're here. <laughs> uh, so the brothers break into the ladies' room to make their way in. They make their entrance to, like, but the crowd is contentious and has their arms crossed. It's like, no, you better entertain us. You can't just be introduced and expect us to be happy. Uh, here they play everybody, or it's like everybody. Um, they, <laughs> yeah. they did this on Saturday Night Live, I think, too. Oh, okay. Uh, they, they win the crowd over. Uh, then they, some might they like they go to the back. There's like a they score like a recording deal for like ten thousand yeah. dollars, <laughs> and they're like, yeah, and they like sign a contract or whatever, and just take a bag of of money with ten thousand dollars in it. Or wait. No, they just he, no. The guy has a stack of cash. I forget. Like Elwood just has a bag for some reason. I can't remember. The Maybe that's why he has bag. all sabotage. It has all their Maybe. songs in it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But now they have ten grand. So now it's Repo, like, well, it's man. clean money. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So the band covers for them as they exit. I, I'm glossing over. There was like, yeah, there's like 15 minutes song and dance sequence here. But like, yeah, I'm not going to explain. And it's a great. Well, I mean, it's a great. Okay, here, here's what's good about this: the, the the penultimate song and dance scene at the at the Palace Hotel Barroom, because this is what you've been waiting for to see from the Blues Brothers since this movie started. It's like, 
oh, what kind of amazing music are they going to put on? And it was actually amazing. What I thought the cool thing about it is that, like, John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd, not musicians, not singers. <laughs> Everyone else in the movie is. So they yeah. kind of stand out of the way and let the band perform. And then they throw some lyrics in. You can tell it's choreographed or whatever. But really, if you pay attention to it, it's the music, not the lyrics, that kind of make all the songs cool. Because yeah. this is where John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd are really smart. They know to kind of stand back at this point, throw in some lyrics, but let the band do their magic. Because all those guys, professional musicians, known for being musicians in the band, and it really works. It's like, cool. They don't try to overhype it and have to bring in, like, actors to record or singers to record over them or anything no they actually do it and it works but it's mostly driven by the music so if you watch that whole blues brothers last performance in this movie it's like oh that's kind of cool when you just sit there and think about it because they knew like oh this is our strengths these are our weaknesses we're going to get back and this is this is why this is cool it's why it's kind of an everyman like we love music type movie right there for me at least yeah. i don't know if anyone else feels that way but i do and the crowd happy, so it's it's success. Um, I mean, it draws you into it, makes you believe in the movie. This right here, <laughs> the performance. Uh, but the band keeps playing so that the brothers can leave, and so they cover their exit. They're like leaving through the sewers, and this is where Carrie shows up, and she has an M16, fully uh, automatic. Like... <laughs> here she's kind of uh, Patty Hearst looking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> On purpose. Uh, <laughs> Uh, she shoots up the place, and, but, like, misses them completely. Because so. they're on a so mission very, from God. Yeah. And, you know, it's a Vietnam-era M16, so that's very on point. Yeah, it just yeah, it hits everything but the target. <laughs> that's what we have napalm for. Yeah. Um, smells like victory. <laughs> well, I know there's a thing, because, like, yeah, the M16 used to be fully automatic, and then they switched it to a three-round burst because it was a light rifle. And the, the thing would just take off if you got it on full auto. And so, like, yeah. um, there's also the, there's also like a kind of a, you can visually, they visually explain this in the men who stare at goats where it's like, this is why we switched to semi-auto and uh, three round burst because <laughs> people get in a, uh, get in a hurry and just pull the trigger all the way back and fire off all the rounds and don't hit anything. So. Yeah. Cause they're scared. <laughs> Because someone's yeah. trying to kill them. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> if I make enough noise, I'll scare them away. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, it's just a waste of money and time. Here's where we figure out, like, because we never get, like, there's never explanation. They don't interact. She just tries to kill them, and then they just barely acknowledge that it happened. No one says, who's that woman ever? It's just, they just move on. And so here, it's like, they get, you get the backstory that Carrie is mad at Jake for standing her up at her, at their wedding. And like it's like wait when and then like Elwood's not like hey when did that happen he just he stands back it's yeah. like well, this isn't my fight you know you do uh, here's where Jake begs for his life very comically he basically says every excuse it's like there was traffic there was an earthquake there was a tornado I didn't have cab fare it was like yeah twenty different con you know excuses for the same thing please don't kill me and then. He takes his glasses off, and this is where she just falls in love with him. And then he kisses her, and then he just drops her in the mud, and then they just take off like nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, and apparently, like, as she describes it, like, she's, like, some kind of mob. Like, her family's, like, in the mafia. 
Yeah. Because she's like, oh, yeah, my dad had to call all of his favors into Vinny the whatever. So it sounds like, oh, yeah, this is why this lady has, like, guns and rocket launchers. And, like, <laughs> like, she's an organized – her, she's related into organized crime somehow. And, yeah, and, and a psychopath. Yeah. <laughs> uh, here's Russell. We get another – they're back in the Bluesmobile, and here's uh, you know, in uh, in the the underpass of the bridge, and we get the another famous line where, where Elwood's like, "It's 106 miles to Chicago. I got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses." And Jake's just like, "Hit it!" <laughs> and they take off, and then the giant like uh, speaker gets comically knocked off the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and this is the best like. This is one of the best car chase movies since like the Road Warrior, or you know, it's like because it and, I, and the reason I don't say like Smoking the Bandit or something is this is such a destructive car chase at this point. <laughs> yeah, it is so insanely like dangerous, violent, and and like and very. Some of it's ridiculous, but a lot of it's like, yeah, that's what that would really be like. Well, you know, it's well because it's so real, and the mass scale of it is like crazy. It's like. Even like Fast and the Furious can't match up to what this movie does. No, <laughs> no because they're driving under the L train at 120 miles an hour. They didn't speed the film. When you see that, they just filmed that. I mean, those are stunt drivers. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't those two guys. But yeah, it's like, oh yeah, they just filmed that. It's like, just drive as fast as you can. We got permits for this. So, because one of the reasons they didn't want, because there was a ban on filming in Chicago from like the early 70s until this movie was made because before it got kind of destructive and dangerous. Okay. And at this point, it just – because I believe it was uh, it was uh, Daily that like banned it. So I think the French Connection was the last one. They're like, no, this is really screwing everything up. Because, you know, I don't know if you know about Richard Daly. He's the mayor – he's like the legacy mayor of Chicago. Yeah. Uh, cause like it, la large amounts of corruption, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, just like corruption was like, was like, it wasn't like corruption, like big C corruption. It was like, oh, it's just built into the batter that this is corrupt. <laughs> like you can complain about it, but you know, the windy city doesn't work without this. Shit. Like that's how he governed. <laughs> and also when Martin Luther King got shot and, and and the lines used in this movie, it was like, remember when they said like any level of violence is acceptable in apprehending the blues brothers Remember yeah. when that went out over the radio? Okay, Daly actually said that when he said, hey, when Martin Luther King got shot, any riots in this city, there is no level of violence I would consider unacceptable to stop rioting, which is like, you know, you just can't even say like that anymore. Because <laughs> if you said that now, the cops would be out in the streets like, you know, I mean, we have a bad record of shit going. And they were doing it back then, too, but everyone didn't yeah. have a high-definition camera in their pocket to record it, so... That was sort of the difference, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, daily. Yeah, was, that, that was also a crazy thing. Like in in that time, how much the National Guard was used for just like defensive purposes and stuff, and you never, never see that nowadays. No. Like it's just like, is there a flood? We got some army guys that are gonna throw some sandbags around. That's how the National Guard is used nowadays. Oh, <laughs> it's the, not when the Detroit riots happened, and they were worried it was gonna breach the city. They fired 50 caliber machine, like Ma Deuces, because that, that's what they had back then, the old World War II stuff. They were firing yeah. those into the city of Detroit to keep people off the one bridge. That was the National Guard was just out there. Doom, 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 doom. 
You know, it's like you're shooting into a city full of people with a 50 caliber. I mean, and it was recorded that it happened, and nobody knows who died, but yeah. Oh, yeah, that was nuts back in the 60s. <laughs> but there was also um, a lot more hatred back then and a lot of naked <laughs> hatred of like, yeah, bring a tank in, kill everyone. It's like, can't yeah. do that. Nobody wants that anymore. No one's no one's comfortable with that level of destruction and violence. <laughs> but also, like, when they, so they, they take off out of the bridge and then knock off the speaker and then Carrie shoots at them again, and the cops also shoot at them. <laughs> well, they don't stop Carrie as a fully automatic rifle <laughs> for shooting at somebody. They're like, oh, cool, got back up. Yeah, they're like shooting their revolvers, and they're like, yeah, just you know, you know fire for effect, you know, <laughs> just just hosing this car down. Uh, which, of course, nothing hits them because these are like the stormtroopers um, <laughs> in Star Wars. They just like just... well, I mean, like I think like the like a brake light or back window gets shot out again or I something. Remember you know? that? But yeah, maybe that could be. Um, Bottom line doesn't uh, stop the car in any way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kept going. Uh, this is where the giant chase starts. Like everybody's after him. The good old boys band can't stop their bus and so they end up driving into a river yeah it's fun because the guy's like can't we go faster and it's like then he guns it and then like they end up like outrunning everybody (laughs) and then he can't stop and drives into a river because no one ever thinks like in movies like you just put it in neutral and turn the key off it's like (laughs) and then slam the brakes on because it will stop but you know that's just me yeah i'm I'm, I'm Uh, the guy who knows about that stuff then we cut to Twiggy like waiting at some gas station or somewhere that he said or uh, motel yeah. waiting for Elwood, and that's the last we see of her. So that's just there randomly. Yeah. But well, like you said, apparently put in her put in there as like kind of a uh, trying to get laid with Twiggy. <laughs> yeah, like when I see Dan Aykroyd again at the Crystal Skull stuff, I'll ask him about it. <laughs> uh, we got there. It's morning. Jake is asleep during all the ruckus as everybody's chasing him. And yeah, I mean, he's totally out of it. Uh, Elwood has to pull over and he just comically veers off into like the metal barriers, barriers, and just runs right through them. And like, and he ends up driving on the hill and stuff like that. And then, and then all the cops are like flying off and wrecking. <laughs> uh, not all of them, just yeah, but just you know, just enough, <laughs> just enough to be to be funny. Oh, they destroyed over two completely destroyed over 200 cars in the making of this movie <laughs> and i don't think this is has the highest body count but it's pretty high i i think <laughs> more were destroyed in other movies but this movie like they they wrecked a lot of cars but i think also around this i think one of the things they benefit from because like, i think they were like the all the all these cop cars they were transitioning to a new car, so they just had all these cheap cars that they could get. Oh yeah, no, these cars were like seven years out of service by the time they, <laughs> they were. They didn't use, uh, yeah, Chicago hadn't used the Buick Skylark, which is most of the cars in the movie since like '72. Like that's <laughs> that's when they started getting other cars, and and because they actually in 1980 they would have had. The square light sealed beam uh, Crown Vicks. That would have been the Chicago, more like the Hill Street Blues type police cars. So, yeah, they just had all these cars with Chicago police regalia on them uh, that were not in service that they could use for this movie because they were just in the junkyard. Nobody wanted them. Because this was after the gas crisis. Well, it was still, they were kind of tail end of that. So, nobody wanted to buy these cars at auction that got one mile to the gallon. You know, the, <laughs> nobody wanted this shit. It was, it was just like, it's here for the taking. Yeah. And here's where we got the, 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 uh, the, the, 
not the announcer, like the dispatcher saying the use of unnecessary violence against the Blues Brother has been approved. Yep. <laughs> and they basically cause all the police to crash. Uh, all the state yeah, police. Yeah, it's just like a massive pile up, like T-bone and after T-bone, spinning cars, everything. And then that blocks traffic. So now there's, so there's even just parked a line of like four wide cop cars parked behind that. And they all get out and just start shooting at the Blues Brothers. Um, In the yeah. city, just like <laughs> just firing off guns into a city, like hundreds of guys. Yep. I think it's also like what you're talking about where they're driving under the L train at like a, like 120 miles an hour. And, they uh, really did that like several <laughs> times. Now they had the streets blocked off and it was only one car for the for the actual like like when the poles are just like woo, woo, like they're just a blur. Like there was no stunt driving going on from the sides there. That was yeah. just like oh we're closing the street and do it. But that's nuts because <laughs> some of those some of those streets are like grids. And I don't know if you've ever driven across metal grids. Like, well, he's like, well, yeah, it's like the Mackinac Bridge up in northern Michigan or whatever. Okay, that's not like driving on cement or concrete. Like, those are just metal grids. Your car tracks wildly when you, because it can't, <laughs> you can't get a stable line because yeah. those grids are vibrating so much. You're just tracking like this. That's at 40 miles an hour. Now, imagine how <laughs> frightening that is at like 120. Like, your tires are like smoking hot because a lot, I think in this era, they're probably still using bias ply tires, which aren't like radial tires. Like it's a different, it's basically like the tires glued together, whereas tires nowadays are made, you could ask dad about it. He knows all about that, but it's like, yeah, those tires weren't made to tolerate that kind of heat uh, running at those speeds, especially over like metal grids and under the L trains and stuff. So yeah, the people that did this were nuts. You've never seen uh, a chase scene like this since because it was yeah. so... I can kind of appreciate the danger of, of that because I've driven old shitty cars at incredibly fast speeds in my <laughs> younger days, and I know how bad those things are. So, yeah. I do remember there was a famous film. It was just a short film of a guy, stunt driver, uh, and he drove through, like, some part of France. Or it might have even been Monaco. I can't remember. He it just was, put a camera on the front of his car. It was Monaco. I know what you're talking about. And he just drove the shit out of the stuff. And they did it in the morning so there'd be less people, but like completely illegally. And, and unfortunately, it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and the chase cars that were filming it, they couldn't because they because they weren't because they had guys filming it from behind. Well, no, 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 there's no. I don't think there's any chase car. I think it's just the camera. Oh, because there was another one they did like that where they had chase cars, but because oh, okay. they had to drive, they didn't have permits. They had to drive yeah. the car there. They couldn't pull the fuse for the brake lights, so they said, "Hey, no brake lights, mother. <laughs> you just gotta go straight through this." And it's like, oh wow, mm -hmm. so no brakes, and we're doing crazy driving, like, and we can't pull the fuses because we don't have a permit. We're not on a closed road. It's like, oh, no, this is going to be really hard. But they did it. And it's like, yeah, that's dangerous. <laughs> and I think I think they had Charles Leclerc, who's from Monaco, like recreate that thing. But, they, you know, of course, they in like a modern car. But then they, you know, of course, they blocked off all the track and stuff so you could do that. But, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. The like you can if you can block off the traffic, you can do almost anything. Uh, yeah. But not in America because our infrastructure is so bad. Like, oh, you got to have the roads just right, too. Because, like, 
oh, it'd be fun to drive down I-94 at 160 miles an hour in like a Bugatti, even if I could get the <laughs> permits to do it. But like one bump and it's like the car's going to explode because our <laughs> roads are so bad here that it's like, yeah, they're not designed for those kind of speeds. You know, it's it's like the, the road's not. The car is. The road sucks. <laughs> anyway. Um, so now the, the brothers have evaded the state patrol for now. So now they're being chased by the Nazis who are shooting at them yes. uh, like while driving. Uh, which the cops with, with, with like doing. old Luger pistols, like the yeah, big, the big long, comically long ones. Yeah. Um. Here's where I have like the motors thrown a rod, and it's like dumping oil on the windshield, which Jake is comically trying to rub off while like hanging out the car. Like I'd say Ace Ventura style, because that's the probably most and famous. He's looking through the out window car. while this is yeah. going on. And by the way, they're driving on a closed like freeway, like where they just yeah. bash through, so they don't know what's coming up. <laughs> I mean, yeah very speed that's the yeah. yes <laughs> the the unfinished highway that they end up on <laughs> it's a so yeah they get to like a, a a highway ramp that's unfinished so you know just elevated in there and there's nothing to connect you to and the, the blues brothers comically flip their car around <laughs> like it's going one way then it just kind of like picks up flips around and is in the air driving flying the other way <laughs> yeah it's more flying than driving mostly yeah. uh which is like nothing like this has happened in the movie so it's just like well why not <laughs> uh and Again, then also it's, it's the, god so yeah <laughs> and then also the nazis car they just they just end up veering off this unfinished highway ramp which i don't know if you ever drink it driven in chicago listeners there is like like going to the united center there is like this on ramp and bridge that is like it goes like I don't know like three hundred feet high. It's weird. Like yeah, you're driving on it, and then you're like, are we driving into the sky? It's like yeah, uh huh. Like oh, there's the sun like at the top of this thing. Like this can't be good. <laughs> yeah, and then you just descend upon the city. Anyways, that's essentially what happens here. Is like the the Nazi car. Also, the Nazis are all driving station wagons. Don't know what that means, but it's funny. Yeah, they're driving <laughs> Ford LTD and Ford Pinto station wagons, <laughs> and in bright orange or no, it's like painted like the Nazi red. Uh, the the small station wagon, the Pinto, and it yeah. had like Nazi sayings on it or bump or stickers <laughs> or something. Um. I don't know what you know, I don't know what that has to do with anything, but it's funny that they're driving station wagons, probably because it's efficient. But they're not driving German cars of that era, so I don't know what kind of Nazis they are. Oh, well, they're American Nazis. Yeah, they like uh, Heinrich so yeah. Ford. Yeah, so this this not this orange Nazi uh, station wagon is just comically flying through the air, like through the cityscape, uh, and then they just start. Fall, you know, then they cut to basically a part where they just dropped a car from a crane and they're just watching it fall. And then they dropped one of the four Nazi cars from a crane, they just kept <laughs> filming it from different angles. Okay, uh, and they had to get crazy permits to do that because the people who were issuing the permits wanted to know about the aerodynamic volatility of the cars because they worried they would get off track and just slide it slam into buildings. Uh, so I think the FAA got involved at some point. It's like, how far can this, I don't know if that's true or not, but it's like, yeah. how far can this car, car fall straight down versus like getting caught by the wind and slamming into the Sears tower or something, which would be yeah. a real problem. 
uh, for the citizens <laughs> of Chicago. <laughs> um, so one of the Nazi de- declares his love for the other before they just become a giant hole in the ground. <laughs> Which is always funny because, yeah, always the secret behind Nazism was always like, oh, the homosexuality buried within it. Of like, you yeah. know, that's always the good way to piss the Nazis off is to say, well, you guys were all gay. <laughs> which is another thing they wouldn't do nowadays it's like that wouldn't be seen as a bad thing now so it's like you can't have that humor or illinois nazis yeah. Yeah. uh so they make it to daily plaza uh just as the as they get out of the car the car just comically falls apart like just every the bumper and every piece of trim just falls off yeah because let me tell you yeah. something kids if you throw a connecting rod in an engine like that car is gonna stop immediately. It's not gonna keep running <laughs> for any length of time because the crankshaft is connected to the transmission, which the crankshaft will seize and the transmission will stop too. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's funny. It's like, oh, it threw a rod. Like, oh, we just gotta wipe oil <laughs> off and we can get another five miles out of this thing. It's like, well, I mean, maybe you could. I don't know. I'm not an expert, but as as I understand automotive technology, they don't work that way. That's in- immediate <laughs> engine failure and lockup. Because, you know, the things that spin around in the engine, well, one of those has snapped and now come through the side <laughs> of the block, and it's on this big crank that's spinning, so that's going to be like, bam, bam, bam. <laughs> that's going to lose a lot of momentum very quickly. <laughs> they, uh, The Blues Brothers take an elevator in the inside Daily Plaza to the Cook County Assessor's Office. Which is cool because uh, there's elevator music playing while they're waiting. And there's this insane amount of action going on in Dealey Plaza. Like, there's just <laughs> people. Ta- there's a Sherman tank shows up at some yeah. point. Uh, yeah, they also, like, barricade the door with everything in, like, the hall in the hallway. And, uh, yeah, and the, and the elevator music is playing. It's, it's like the girl from Ipa Nipa, but it's like that. Ipa Nima or whatever you say. Uh, but it's, like, instrumental or what do you call it? It's the girl from it's like music. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because that was used a lot in um, uh, Fight Club. Oh, okay. Yeah, but a different rendition oh. of it, but yeah. Oh, yeah, I forget what they call it. Is that like Muzak? Is that what they call yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Mu- Elevator, Mu- Elevator Muzak. M-U-Z-A-K, I think. <laughs> uh, there's firemen, like, axing the way through the door, so even the firemen are after The National Guard shows up. This is, ba- I mean, this is basically like, it's like, oh, like, this is essentially, if you ever played grand theft auto this is like when you create too much chaos everybody comes free yeah they got all five stars going yep. <laughs> at this point um the brothers sabotage the elevator which is also funny because it's like like elwood pulls out like you know one of those like those like uh like manual screwdrivers where it's like the whole length will just spin it for you or whatever and stuff like that yeah it's like a gear drive screwdriver like that kind of zip zip and it just like will turn a (laughs) hundred times when you do that yeah yeah and it's Uh, like oh he's gonna break out tools and cross wires no he's just gonna spray hairspray in there like with a lighter and just (laughs) and it's gonna have a huge electrical explosion um (laughs) which i don't know it might uh who knows uh then they barricade those doors I was waiting for. I thought there was a joke in here where like there's a bar. They barricade a door and it was just like, but the doors go the wrong way. But I'm I'm guessing that must be a different movie. That must be like an Austin Powers movie or something. Uh, but then they see a uh, like a, a note on the door, like 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 out to launch, be back in 15 minutes. And so they just like you know politely wait there yeah. <laughs> as everyone's running up the stairs trying to kill them. And let's not forget uh, the SWAT team. Like in this movie, they're doing like weird stuff. 
like because they get out and <laughs> yeah. they're like hut 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 you know every, <laughs> every move like, they make is is like predicated uh, by that sound yeah it's basically like i mean it's like south park do- has done it a hundred times it's like it's like is this where it started <laughs> yeah i'm familiar yeah, with that, it but it's like oh yeah they do this all the time now yeah they got helicopters they're descending from windows to they have no idea where they are you know just you know geez, it's just a thing you do <laughs> here we get a cameo by steven spielberg he's the, the county assessor yeah, that's really weird it's like that's steven spiel that's a that's a 15 year old steven spielberg <laughs> I don't know how old he'd be at this. This was post Jaws, so he'd be pretty yeah. famous. Uh, I mean, he was a young director, but he'd probably probably be in his thirty. I mean, a lot of times directors are older, like they don't get their breaks till they're like older. But yeah, we're still waiting for ours, like our director <laughs> breaks. Well, I say like director, like if you're an actor, it's like you got a, you got an age limit, but directors can essentially direct forever as long as they keep making money. So yeah. Steel, Spielberg still making movies. Oh yeah, <laughs> he's got to be like in his eighties now, right? <laughs> uh, probably. I don't know. I'm just glad Abel Ferrara is still making movies. That's that's. <laughs> I mean, uh, I was at. Uh, oh, Sidney Lumet was like making movies into his nineties. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, what's his name? Scorsese's still making movies. He's got to be. Yeah, upper eighty. Yeah, he's got me. Yeah, yeah. He just had that new one come out, which looks boring as hell. <laughs> but one? interesting. Under the Killing Moon or something like that. Oh, is that the one or, with um, or Under the Flower Moon or something like that? I think it's like Killing the Something Moon. Yeah, because that's got uh, what's his name in it? Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio. K- Killers of the Flower Moon. Okay, Killers of the Flower. I thought it was Killing the Something Moon. Okay, <laughs> don't know anything about it. I'll probably watch it when it comes out <laughs> on some streaming service that I pay. A oh yeah, it's, I think it's a Netflix movie. So yeah, I don't even watch movies in theaters anymore. If it's like oh exclusively <laughs> in theaters, like well no, because I'm already paying a fortune for all these damn streaming services. So <laughs> can't go spend twenty dollars on a movie ticket. Uh, they get the receipt uh, for paying the orphanage bill uh, as the police and the National Guard, like 80 people in a circle of guns pointed at their head. It's, it's very funny. Yeah, it's very like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid ending. Like, oh, yeah, it's all these guys have guns. Like, if anyone there... fired any of these guns, they would kill us and each other. Like, there's so many people interlaced pointing guns. I can't. Well, I can't. I think it might be for the third John Wick movie, but there's the poster for it where it's just a circle of guns pointed at his head, and it's like that's essentially what's going on here. So, uh, and I heard all those guns like loaded with blanks, but actually capable of firing like not rubber guns, like they would do now for like sake. Because you know those blank guns can kill you at point blank range, as we all know. Yeah. Uh, those guns were like real, like they just had they could have had blanks <laughs> in them. They didn't. But we know about John Landis and his like proclivity for safety, so it was like, <laughs> oh yeah, you could see right down the barrel of those guns in that shot if you're paying attention. And then we cut to the it's this is kind of the credit sequence, but we cut to the Blues Brothers and they're performing from jail. the 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 prisoners are going wild for their performances. They're performing Jailhouse Rock. Yes, and. You know the Booze Brothers got arrested, but then also the rest of the band is also there dressed up in 
prison garb, not knowing, like, are they also arrested? Are uh, they now accessories to the crime? I'm, I'm no assuming idea. the Blues Brothers probably were responsible for over $20 million worth of damage <laughs> to the state of Illinois and Chicago. So these guys are probably in prison for a long time. Because <laughs> uh, if you kill someone, funny. you can be out in three years with good behavior. But if you damage <laughs> property or steal money from people, oh, you're doing 20 years. Yeah, I can't remember the the beginning premise of Blues Brothers 2000, but presumably by the date they've been in jail for 20 years. Oh, okay, yeah, I'll, yeah, that would make sense. Okay, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that actually would probably. I mean, if you actually did all this stuff and got away with like most of it, like, yeah, you'd be butting up against like a lifetime sentence. <laughs> Just because the fact that, like, people would actually get killed. Like, if, like if 100 police cars got in a wreck, like, oh, yeah, somebody would get killed. And also if the police were just firing guns wildly about the city. Like, oh, somebody, <laughs> the knock-on killings alone. Like, yeah. you would be held responsible for those in some way. Um, This performance, like, kind of, like, rolls into the credits where, like, they bring, like, you know, it's, like, Aretha Franklin. And then she's, like, assisting with the jailhouse wrong jailhouse rock song and like singing a verse with it and that's how like this credit sequence works is kind of interesting yeah uh, which I, I don't know john last also for national lampoon had interesting stuff where they have like the cut to a character and they give like a little blurb of what happened to them which yes. i think is the first movie to do that so yeah this is kind of a a take on yeah, animal movie. house did that yeah yeah Cause oh, what did i say <laughs> national lampoons national lampoons yeah um, yeah, because the Animal yeah, House, animals. I remember, like, John Belushi's character was like, oh, he was a senator later. <laughs> yeah, and just, senator Blutarski or something? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I had some weird play on his name. Um, but, yeah, that was like, oh, it yeah, makes perfect sense, actually. Yeah, it was just kind of like a fun send-off of, you know, it's like, hey, you had fun watching this movie, so remember everyone who was in the movie? Here you go. <laughs> Ray Charles comes back, you know, all the people are. Yeah, yeah, then then not seeing the movie. So, yeah. That is Blues Brothers. Yeah, two and a half hours of uh, of a kind comedy of, action, a kind of a com a subversive comedy action movie, comedy action mu musical <laughs> with characters you which actually like with characters they're kind of anti heroes like they're not really likable. You just like the weird situations that they're in no like i said like dan Aykroyd is like oh he's playing an autistic guy before it was cool and <laughs> you know jim, jim james uh james belushi is like a or don't no, sorry yeah, i'm doing it now john belushi <laughs> is like a uh, is a kind of a sociopath <laughs> yeah yeah it, it's like oh but it's fun because they're like on a mission from god um <laughs> But they're completely unaware of themselves, the world around them, right and wrong. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all kind of like it's all just lost in the mix. Uh, which is like I don't know if that's a commentary on their characters or just a commentary on the world that exists and how you have to. Because ultimately they are trying to do something good, but they're completely psychotic in their execution <laughs> of that act. It's like it would be yeah. better if you just robbed a liquor store yeah, to yeah. get the nun her money because you wouldn't have to, like, destroy part of Chicago to make this happen. <laughs> yeah, it's like the destruction versus the clean money of the recording contract doesn't weigh in comparison. No, <laughs> which is what's funny about this movie because it's two guys, like, just objective-orientated people that have no... They either can't rationalize, you know, their own actions or they just don't 
bother to do it. I don't know what it is, but it, it <laughs> but it makes for great comedy. Yeah, yeah. It explains a lot about the characters and uh, you know who they are and and why this movie resonated so much with uh, with people. Uh, you, you know, they're, they're they're like two guys that have like you know the the blues and all that stuff. Like that's black culture. These guys totally appropriated it. <laughs> we we didn't talk about it back then, but it's like oh yeah, yeah this is what they're doing. Because uh, later on, you know, we've always talked of revisited things like Led Zeppelin later. It's like, oh, they stole all this stuff from, you know, you know, and and they make these allegations and it's it's opinion. I don't I'm not saying one thing's right or wrong, but it's like, oh, it's interesting that like now we're talking about like, oh, yeah, a lot of people lost a lot, left a lot of money on the table because other people showed up and claimed this as their own and kind of recreated it as their like, oh, this is an original act. It's like it clearly isn't like, yeah, but. By the way, the well, this movie were... does have a lot of like performance from black actors and stuff, and they just kind of like, like you said, they the Blues Brothers stand aside when that happens. It's like, well, we'll give you the floor, and then we'll come back and do our movie. That's why this movie was ahead of its time because it did it, it acknowledged like everything that's cool about us came from these people, but you know, yet we still have to like move through the world that is unjust and 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 do something good for orphans. You know, uh, we're going to pay $5,000 worth of property taxes to a corrupt system and cost it $20 million along the way. <laughs> and that, that's how we revolt against the system and win. So really, the Blues Brothers isn't about blues. It's about punk rock. And, you know, as far as you know, philosophically. Right. I'm just trying to mix Verhoeven bullshit in with this. I don't yeah. really believe that. But it's like, yeah, it, you could say that. You could make that argument. But yeah, I guess because I, I never like really watched a whole lot of the i guess he clips of it of the of you know the original saturday night cast so i guess i didn't realize it was part of saturday night Live. so i don't even know like what the skit was or if it was just something that well no i mean there was like there was like five original ones and like two additional ones um uh with the blues brothers uh there there was like the the original Aykroyd belushi blues brothers i think they did like five with different guests where they would come on and do music because uh, a lot of the people that were um, some of the musicians were like also the Saturday Night Live musicians, too. Oh, OK. okay so that's that makes... that's where they got a lot of these guys. And then uh, later on, when they tried to relaunch, I think they did one in 98 with someone. And then they did uh, one with Dan Aykroyd and Justin Timberlake in like 2000 something. And that was like the last <laughs> time the Blues Brothers thing was brought up. But, yeah, there was kind of like. Oh, we're gonna do this performance, and we're the kind of these kooky guys, and then it evolved from a Saturday Night Live skit into a like a movie. But the, huh, in, okay. in this case, the movie was more famous than the Saturday Night Live thing. Like you'd have to know well, like old Saturday Night Live to really appreciate it. So it wasn't necessarily like a setup as a skit. It was more like here's because the thing about Saturday Night Live, they'd always have like a musical performance as they're like adjusting to a new skit or whatever. Um, yeah, this so became they, like they just we're gonna do coach on the. They just encroach on the the musical performance. Yes. Then. Okay. Yes. But it was a very like stiff performance by Dan Aykroyd because it was funny because he was kind of doing that. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, John Belushi was just a lunatic who like, I just did a mountain of cocaine. Da -da 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 -da. You know, just what you can do after a mountain of cocaine, um, which is fine. You know, I guess I, I had no judgment here, uh, but yeah. So it just, but it kind of evolved into its own animal. Okay. 
And, you know, interestingly talking about like, you know, two white guys being the blues brothers and all this is like, there was some real racism around the release of this movie because certain theater magnates who owned a lot of theaters didn't want to run this movie because they literally said, we don't want a bunch of black people in our theaters because, you know, we know what this movie is. We know who the main characters are, but we know there's a lot of black supporting and cameo actors in this. And we don't want our theaters having a bunch of black people in it. And they wouldn't run the movie. I'm serious. I'm not making it up. Yeah. Oh, yeah, up. yeah. That seems, yeah. That's how it's this people. is 1980, though, not 1960. It's 1980 <laughs> we're talking about. So it's... uh it's kind of funny, like the kind of racism. You know, is. sometimes in the South, it's 1960s everywhere. <laughs> this was in the Midwest, what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. This is where the guys owned, and I'm not going to name names, so I don't want to get sued, but you can look it up, people. If you're curious, <laughs> go to the Blues Brothers Wikipedia page and look at, like, the initial run of this movie. It's like, even though it was well-reviewed, it didn't get as wide a release as it would have. Because certain theater owners didn't want to run the movie because they're worried black people would show up to the theaters. I'm not making that up. I'm quoting that verbatim. So, yeah. I did not look up the box office, but I assume it was a success. <laughs> it was a success. Um, I think it made $112 million. Uh, okay. Let me go to my, what's my box office. There's different numbers you can okay it costs like roughly 35 million to make with advertising and it made 115 million okay i don't know how much of that is theater versus like video sales later because i know this movie is like the ultimate like cult classic movie and i i knew guys growing up that were really into this movie <laughs> um like i said I, i'm not a blues guy i'm more of a 70s prog rock i'm more of a jethro tull pink floyd guy <laughs> So this wasn't my genre of music, but I thought the movie was cool. Um, and so I appreciate that. But I don't know anything about the music portrayed in it. Or, you know, I'm not, not, it's like, it's not my wheelhouse, but I appreciate oh, it's it. A good, it's a good soundtrack. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, these are all cool. I mean, John Lee Hooker's cool no matter what. His name <laughs> is cool. I wish I had a name like John Lee Hooker. <laughs> if I made like uh, you know, exhaust manifolds for cars and my name, because there was a, people that do that it's called hooker headers um it's like that would be cool also like that name's always cool if it's not your profession uh would you say this is your favorite john landis movie yes oh yeah easily okay yeah okay i mean i like the weirdness of american werewolf in london but it also the ending of that movie is so abrupt and sad i really can't get into it <laughs> And also, John well, Landis is from Chicago, I believe. So this is kind of yeah. a love letter to Chicago, too. Which, well, yeah, because, like, all those... That's Saturday the only big city I have any relationship with. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, because, like, half... Um, almost all of the Saturday Night Guys people came out of Second City, the Second City uh, comedy troupe. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that was... That's that's Chicago. Chicago is the Second City. Uh, which is named that for being the second biggest city in the, at least it was in, in the American, in America. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And now it's not, it's, it's gotta be, third. Is, is it, or does Texas have something that's bigger now? I always thought it was New York, Los Angeles, but Los Angeles cheats. Cause it's actually way bigger than you think. Yeah. It's basically a suburb, state unto itself. <laughs> yeah. Cause Los Angeles is like, it's bigger than New York and Chicago put together. But because it's because Los Angeles is literally like 25 million people, but it's not because it's just a bunch of <laughs> suburbs around L.A. So, yeah, because like New York is 10 million, 
or it was, I don't know what it is now. Chicago's like 5 million and then LA's like was like 3 million or whatever, but really LA is like mega city one. <laughs> New York is like this, the old world and Chicago is stuck in the middle somewhere. <laughs> Chicago is our capital. Cause we're in the Midwest and that's, yeah. like, that's the place we know. And we that's, go, that's where you have to go where, cause the bands won't play in your yeah. old town yeah. that you live in. <laughs> so this is why Conlon wants to move to Milwaukee. Cause it's Cedar Rapids <laughs> with amenities. Um, <laughs> No, Minnesota. <laughs> or Minnesota, yeah. What's the city you want to move to? Uh, Minneapolis. Oh, Minneapolis. Oh, I thought it was Milwaukee. Okay. Milwaukee's Sorry. Wisconsin, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, no one wants to live there. Okay. <laughs> I do. Is it cold there? <laughs> it's cold in Wisconsin and, Min and, and Minnesota. Well, I mean, it's cold in Michigan, too, but the cold places you can move to in Michigan are, like, abandoned. <laughs> like you have to provide all your own utilities and stuff. Because I will retire, and when I say retire, I'm not. It's not like twenty years down the road. It's like ten years down the road. I'm going to move <laughs> to Northern Michigan. I know everyone tells me not to because it's like, well, if you have a heart attack, it's you know ten hours to the nearest hospital. It's like, well, how about if I don't have a heart attack? <laughs> how about if I'm optimistic? Because I literally well, want to move someplace where the temperature is like the high is eighty <laughs> for the whole year. Well, well, the thing of Minneapolis is like it's roughly like Cedar Rapids and Minneapolis are like roughly the same population and roughly the same expense, but Minneapolis gets way more cool stuff there. But it's also helping by being the Twin Cities, where it's like, well, you got another city next to it that's basically as big as Minneapolis, so it's kind of it's kind of structured in a way that it's a way bigger city than it lets on. So. Well, Conlon, if you're willing to be patient, see, that's only the Twin Cities. You've got the Quad Cities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got the Quad. That's two twins. You just got to wait twenty years for the population <laughs> to grow by a hundred million or whatever, and then you'll be fine. Yeah. Nine Inch Nails will play in Cedar Rapids eventually. <laughs> Uh, although Davenport does have an IMAX theater, so yeah, there's that going for it. <laughs> and we had like four of those around here, and they all went broke. So we had one here, but we had the weird one where it was, it was uh, broadcast on a dome, which is cool if you're watching nature documentaries that are exclusively like filmed in IMAX format. But when you go there and watch like a movie that that's widescreen and not using the full length of the format and there's just like this weird projection where the corners are all distorted weirdly and then there's just these weird black ovals <laughs> on, <laughs> on the on the on the uh the uh dome like that was the worst way to watch like a a narrative movie imax movie <laughs> we had i we had we had competing imax here because we had IMAX with goofy goggles, uh, which okay. wasn't real IMAX, but it was like, well, it was goofy goggles IMAX. That's what we watched. Tron, um, the new, the latest Tron movie. Me and Legacy. Grayson saw that. Yeah, whatever that was, terrible. But we watched it, and we cool had cool music. It's the best music video movie. It's like yeah, Daft Punk did the soundtrack or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was cool, and it was the guy uh, who played Tony Blair in every movie was the bad guy. Um, and then we had like real IMAX on the other side of town, uh, which like that looked cool. Like I saw the one of the Matrix movies, the last one I think, in that IMAX. But then that place like went out of business. Like you just couldn't go there anymore. 
and then Goofy Goggles IMAX went away, and now we have no IMAX. <laughs> but we can watch like Bollywood movies, like the the multiplex we had with like uh, the one right next to my right near my house that has like thirty five screens. Like you can watch new movies there, or you can watch Bollywood movies there. Like you can and, and on huge screens. And if you want to watch a seven hour Bollywood movie where people sing in a language you don't understand, it's like, well, they seem to be having fun. And the tickets are seven dollars. Like, okay, cool. And those places are packed. I've never seen so many Lexuses parked side by side by side <laughs> in a parking lot. And then you've got the State Theater downtown, which uh, like they're gonna do, um, which that's like the old movie theater in downtown Ann Arbor. But th- they were gonna do like a uh, a Russian sci-fi retrospective. Where you could watch like Stalker and all those movies on a big screen. I was thinking about going, but then COVID happened, and I don't know what they're doing anymore. Because it's like, oh, I'll go do that. Because they, I can get an Uber from my my house to the theater and back. Because they serve liquor at the State Theater, and you know, if I'm doing like ten hours of Russian sci-fi cinema, I'm getting hammered. Because <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, I live like like a few blocks away from the probably the biggest theater in Cedar Rapids. And uh, there was a time, like they fixed it up now a little bit, but like, man, it was like, like they had fine. The theaters were fine. They have like the, you know, the reclinable seats and stuff like that. But you walk in the bathroom and just everything is broken. You know, just all the hand soap <laughs> things are just ripped off the wall. <laughs> it makes you wonder who's doing that. Uh, yeah. And it was just like, you come back there next month. <laughs> it's the same things ripped off the wall. It's like, it's like should i be coming here with tools to fix this like it's gotta be a community effort oh yeah i love those things like when you walk into the bathroom it's like should i just piss on the floor (laughs) i mean what am i doing here um yeah yeah. uh but i was trying to think of i was trying to think of ways like how could you turn this around i was trying to think of like you should have like food trucks out you know have you know, yeah, because you're showing like the Bollywood movies here too, and just like just have food trucks out and then make a whole thing out of it. Then I realized, like, oh, that's actually that's that's where that's where they make their money is selling you eight dollars popcorn that costs three cents to make. So you know, it's like they're not making movies off the selling the tickets. So it's like, no, you can't have fun projecting <laughs> movies. Oh, I remember when uh, me and Grayson would go to like, um, he'll never forget the movies I took him to from the ages of like 12 to, you know, 20 or, you know, like 19 or whenever he went to college when he kind of was out of our lives. It's like, yeah, we'd go watch like indie movies at this one theater in Royal Oak where they serve you beer and stuff like, but, but it was almost like bar prices. It wasn't like the crazy prices. It's like, no, we want you to get drunk here and enjoy the movie. And it's like, (laughs) once he was 16, it's like, well, you're, you can drive my car. So we're going to go watch some movie about like lighthouse keepers or, you know, whatever I want to see, you know, at the Royal Oak theaters. And and it's like we're we're the youngest people in like I'm the youngest guy in the theater by like 30 years. And he's the youngest guy by like 40 years. Like like it's just a bunch of old people are all drinking beer uh, in these theaters that are um, like if 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 like there's a my favorite was they put um was that sound they put like an atmos sound system which i don't know if yeah. you know what that is that's like dolby atmos yeah yeah, like, yeah they put an atmos uh sound system in a theater that was like really old and when like 
you know, it had this amazing like sound structure to it where it would project yeah. sound at you. It was cool, but like the roof tiles would fall because they hadn't <laughs> updated that. They they like, but well, we're putting the Atmos system in, but we're not updating any of the other stuff. And the tiles <laughs> is it like, whoa! It's like the scene would happen and then a tile would drop. It was like, oh wow! Because I think we went and saw um, uh, what was. It's like Grayson said, like his his favorite memory from childhood is like seeing Annihilation in theaters with dad. <laughs> and there's like all these wild scenes in that movie. And and yeah, a tile fell from the ceiling during one of the like intense scenes where the remember where the bear mutant thing came into the cabin and it was yeah. like screaming like, help me, help me. And <laughs> this tile fell from the ceiling. and Everyone in the theater was like, whoa, you know, because it was like, oh, this is interacting with us live. And uh fourth dimensional filmmaking yeah it's like yeah yeah i'm never gonna forget that you know it's like yeah take your friends to this movie you know the annihilation kids in high school um, which didn't exist but it was fun odds on them making a remake of blues brothers zero (laughs) percent okay i mean this was a movie made about a dying art form (laughs) <laughs> when the art form was that i mean this movie they were talking about disco replacing this that's yeah. how that's how antiquated this was uh at the yeah, time i mean the early 80s yeah, yeah early 80s late 70s was the death of disco so, yeah uh there uh, yeah, no odds no, I mean, on a remake of this and there shouldn't yeah be. that's a terrible idea yeah. <laughs> well you know you just know like the so many uh, movie studios are risk averse so it's like what ip haven't we recycled yet (laughs) but yeah like you said they're not currently making well i don't know have they ever rebooted any of the like saturday night live movie verse no they don't even make saturday night live movies anymore because they were terrible they got the quality got so bad like the ragged end of that was like the worst like cancer patient death you could imagine of of, of the last well, generation of well there are good ones that they, just, they weren't they weren't they weren't successful but you had like the lonely island guys so you had like mcgruber which is basically like a cult film now but it wasn't well received when it came out yeah um uh but it was a good movie it's a crazy movie yeah, <laughs> yeah a, i remember it your I mean, macgyver spoof movie it was funny uh, uh and then you had like the pop star with uh uh with the lonely island guy the what's what's his name? A- andy sandberg yeah yeah um which I, that that was snl adjacent but that wasn't necessarily an snl character that was a really good move spoof movie and then like it just kind of like never made any money and they also did hot rod which again was just adjacent it wasn't a satellite movie yeah i don't remember that one hot rod's great oh like okay. people it's really it's a really undersold comedy because it, it's got like, uh, it's got the guy from, uh, uh, what's that? Uh, it's not Downton Abbey. What's the HBO comedy about the guy that who's the pitcher, the minor league pitcher? Oh, Eastbound Down. Yeah, that guy. That was like one oh, of his Danny first. Danny McBride. Big, yeah, Danny McBride. Oh yeah, I love that guy. He's hilarious. <laughs> got a great performance in uh, um, was it Alien Covenant? Yeah, it was so crazy to see that because I only thought of him as Danny McBride. Yeah, and then he was in Alien Covenant, and he like looked exactly the same, but he was like, "Oh, we're doing this straight." It's like, and it was <laughs> that was a really dark like action movie, and yeah, and it ended on a really dark note. But it was like, oh, wow, 
that whole, that whole movie's upsetting. <laughs> it's a good movie. It's you know, it's <laughs> I enjoy it. I mean I mean it's got I mean it's 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 um now I'm forgetting his name. Well the Scott brothers. Ridley Scott, so of course it's A plus production. It's just some of the content is like I can't get into this. <laughs> oh, but it was such a recovery from um the uh the one before it. Prometheus. Yeah. Because I remember, I, like, I took days off work. It's like, oh, Prometheus is coming out. Um, Idris Elba's in it, who's one of my favorite actors, because from from like Luther and stuff like that. It's like this is gonna be amazing. And I was like, oh, I had to like drink after I watched it. Like, I I can't talk. And didn't we not talk about Prometheus deliberately for a year? Because it's like I can't deal with it emotionally. It's, it's it was so f-ed up. It was like, god damn. And I took days off work for that. <laughs> Well, I had such a hype, and then, like, yeah, we always talk about, like, it's, like, a great half a movie. <laughs> yeah, best half a movie which, ever done. Uh, which, yeah, was, that's it's kind of a, a bread and butter for this podcast. We'll get to it at some point. It's just, like, but, yeah, we're, like, nah, we can't do it. I'm still disappointed. <laughs> I mean, there's been, like, a, there's been, like, a, I mean, everybody hates the same things that we hate, but there's been a thing where, uh, kind of, like, a, a resurgence for it, where it's, like, people are, like, no, like, you're missing the point. It's, like, know that the the bad lady can't laterally move and gets squashed by the thing like no it's like that's what she's deserved it's not stupid it's like okay whatever (laughs) it's not about it's not alien is not the alien universe is not about karmic justice no matter (laughs) how much you want to make it it's about not becoming a part of the life cycle of these horrible creatures that's (laughs) that's what the alien movies are about um i mean my simplistic like what i don't like about prometheus is like and why i like the first half is like you're sending the smartest people in the world to go die a Friday the 13th death in a yeah. horror movie. <laughs> yeah, it's stupid. I mean, I, that's why I think like Alien Covenant is great. It's just because of the stupidity of the movie before it. <laughs> and the fact that you have like, you know, these amazing actors in this terrible, you know, it, it was just it just sucked. <laughs> uh, alien 3 was better than prometheus like way better like yeah millions of times better and and it's why i didn't take time off work for a movie not, until not even blade the... runner 2049 it's like that was the you know the next movie like okay you're gonna get me to take time <laughs> off um and, uh, and alien 3 had a hard way harder follow-up than prometheus did. oh yeah yeah <laughs> Aliens 2, one of the greatest action movies ever. What are you going to do next? We're going to do a boring, (laughs) self-reflective alien prison movie. (laughs) Which was kind of cool at the end of the... I mean, you know, I've... Yeah. I've I've never watched like this. I I hated Alien 3, but I hated Alien 3 because I loved Alien. So that that was pretty much the whole thing. So Yeah, I I mean, I've hewed Alien 3 again and again. And it's like, oh, okay, I kind of like this now. Uh, I like every movie for a different reason, but Alien was one of my favorite movies. Uh, and I still say, like, what's the base? What's you know, when people are like, what's the best movie of the Alien franchise? It's like, oh, Alien, by far yeah. the best. I mean, you can't beat it. It's it's you know, it's because it's a small universe. It's a very small world, and the problem is, is like an Alien, it, in Aliens, it gets bigger, and in Alien Three, it gets bigger and darker. 
and then the alien resurrection and it's like oh that's just weird it gets funnier yeah it's it's like cool because i like french stuff it's like anything yeah, the french yeah. do it's like i'm gonna give it a pass because i like french stuff um, yeah i like i like alien resurrection it's a it's not really an alien movie it's almost like a subversive we made a comedy out of an alien yeah. movie but it's different and weird so yeah i like it some people just whole, wholesale hate it uh, i mean there's like hey it is weird to have like a late 90s movie it's like why are we having why are we having ripley a clone of ripley playing basketball and making a no look backhand shot that's stupid but that's the movie yeah, <laughs> yeah the whole movie is a is a no look three-pointer it's like yeah, that's, that's <laughs> the whole thing <laughs> but then again when it comes to french stuff i'm i'm like super forgiving it's like oh well this is it's look it's french hold on take a break i mean you had a guy you you got had a guy use his own death with the chest burster to headshot another evil guy it's like that's great yeah that's cool <laughs> it's like hey if you're gonna die and it's gonna suck anyway you might as well make it count <laughs> these people you know <laughs> there's blues brothers yeah no chestbursters and blue. Uh, no chestbursters and blue. blue <laughs> I was gonna say if you like her. Oh yeah, we're sending we're sending a probe to space, containing the supercut of the uh, of scenes from the imperfect collection. That is the Vero effect. Nathan, what movie are we sending to the space for the supercut from Blues Brothers? Oh, you know it's the scene for the hotel. Just are, are they? What what is it? The hot. What what's the place called where he lives? Hotel for transient men. Yeah, where it gets blown up and these guys just step out of the rubble and brush their clothes off and it's like, yep, yeah, we're on a mission from God. Doesn't matter who dies. We're like crusaders, modern day crusaders. Uh, so if you like what you heard, and how can it, if you you know you can find us at verhoeveneffect.com. You can. Uh, what other platform of your choice? You can rate our podcast. You can rate us whatever you want. But the only thing the algorithm listens to is the highest rating. Remember, you control the algorithm. The algorithm doesn't control you. We have listener support at VeronEffect.com where you can support us at a monthly stipend of either 99 cents, $4.99, or $9.99. Uh, you can find us at Twitter at Verhoeven Effect. You can find us at Facebook at Verhoeven Effect. You can find us on YouTube at American Greed Factory. We watch both this and that show live and unedited. And we also have T-shirts at BelowTheCollar.com slash factory and get those because i just got one <laughs> i'm actually gonna wear a shirt for my own podcast <laughs> they're flying off the shelf yeah they are i'm, I'm like the second person to buy one <laughs> and here's the first here's yeah. zero zero one <laughs> so for the very effect podcast i'm colin and i'm nathan goodbye america